Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 84. Nina Turner agrees with Biden primary challenge. In a recent interview, Nina Turner states that Biden should be challenged and the American people should have a choice. Another clip mentions that progressives will vote for Biden in the end if he is the nominee. Is a primary challenge worth it in the end? And I want to hear from you guys. Looks like we already got a couple people lined up. Let's go ahead and bring in Miss Natori. You are on the mic. Just have to unmute and let me make sure I turn my volume on on the media end. What's up, Natori? Hey, Sabi. Hey, everyone. I feel like we have two choices and they both said, I feel like what I've seen from Mariana Anna sell us out just like um Bernie did and I feel like it's either the Democrats gonna give it the um Biden again or Donald Trump gonna win and if well it's three because if Donald Trump don't win I feel like Ron everybody's sleeping on Ron DeSantis and I think he gonna either win two or he gonna team up with Donald Trump I think so, too. I think Ron DeSantis might just kind of slide in there, like sneak in there. I feel like not as many people are paying attention to him. Now, granted, he hasn't announced yet, but I do think that there is still that possibility. And I think that, like, for me, if if the candidate primary challenging Joe Biden, if you agree with Joe Biden when it comes to foreign policy, So, for example, if you have the same talking points that he has on this war with Russia and Ukraine, which right now Marianne does, she says to give more money to Ukraine. And if you have the same talking points with Joe Biden when it comes to Israel and Palestine or Marianne wants to do the two state solution, then to me, what is going to be the big difference? And I think that that was the thing that when Nick and I interviewed her I think the first question that Nick did ask her was, why should people support your campaign? Marianne didn't really answer that question. She just said, well, people don't have to. But no, like if you're running like and you want people to vote for you, you have to sell your campaign to the American people. And the response should not be, well, people don't have to. You have to convince people why you believe that you would be better than Joe Biden. And if you cannot do that, then that's going to be a problem from what I see. When Mariana Anna came on the scene, when she first came on the scene, I said, this person is interesting. I ain't know her when like the books and um, Oprah, I didn't know her, but it sound she sound interesting, but as she went along, not when she um got on y'all. I'm glad y'all exposed her, but I already didn't like her because I rem- I went back to those um debates and she was just boring. <laughs> and it's like she's not gonna get very far. And then I know she's not gonna fight the Democrats because she can't handle y'all. What the hell? Well, and then Nina, ugh, Nina. I loved it. I love Nina Turner. Used to love Nina Turner, but every time I see her, it's just girl. It's like you a Democrat. You keep saying you fighting for the people, but yet when it's time to fight, you get in the corner. 
Yeah, she did recently make excuses for Joe Biden not visiting East Palestine, Ohio, too. Uh, Nick and CJ talked about that on RBN. I, I noticed that as well. It's like, but that's the other thing, too. Like, for someone like Marianne or anyone who decides to primary challenge Joe Biden, there could be other people that come forward. I don't know. But my thing is, if you're agreeing with Joe Biden and you're siding along with him and you're saying that, well, Joe Biden's been doing great, then my question to you would be, then why are you running against him? That would be my question. And, and Marianne has said that. She said that, I think, in the interview with, um, I think it was the interview that she had with Jordan Sheraton, where she said, like, well, Joe, well, Biden has done, you know, da, da, da. Like, no. Like, if, if he's done all of those great things, then why are you running against him? Like, that's my question. I don't see no difference to me. She's too weak. I can only say that I hope somebody out of the blue that we don't know, but they really good for the working people come on the scene. But I don't see, because these people, they talking about Pete Buddha gig, whatever, and Kamala Mamla lock them up Harris. None of them. <laughs> it's like none of them. They all disgust me. Yeah, I think for me at this point in time, I just continue to ask, like, what is the purpose if you know? Because I don't want to hear, you know, like John Stasevich, you know, for him to say he doesn't want to fight and he doesn't want to take off the gloves. I was like, OK, that's a done deal for me. And if that is the case, if you don't want to fight and if the end of the day you're going to tell people to go ahead and support joe biden if you lose then they're really to in my opinion there's no point in you running there just really isn't and, and i just i know some people disagree with that but they feel that it will bring the conversation to the main stage but that's if they even let you debate people forget this but in 2020 donald trump had a primary challenge they just didn't let you there was no debate there was no debate and so the same thing could happen here. The DNC could easily say, yes, Marianne, I know you got this percentage of points in the polls, but we decided to change the rules. So there isn't going to be a debate after all. They could easily do that. Right. And I feel like she just going to sit back in the corner and be like, okay, let's um, vote for um, Joe Biden, which I know that's exactly what she's going to do because I don't see none of them as fighters. And then these YouTubers that's supporting this bullshit know she ain't shit. And they sitting here acting like they on the left or progressives or whatever you want to call them, which we all know they are Democrats. And y'all know the YouTubers I'm talking about. They're going to sit there and whatever she do, to me, is just a big smoke screen because we already know, even if she do make it, I feel like she, which she's not, but even if she do like inch up there, she going to um tell everybody to vote for um whack-ass Joe. But mm -hmm. that's all to say. It's pretty sad. Yeah, I, I think it's... <sighs> The media is already starting with the smears, by the way. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but the media is already starting to smear her, which is what we predicted. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Marco. Marco, what's your take on all of this? Do you feel that it's it's even worth it? Oh, no, I definitely do not think it's worth it. You know, considering the Electoral College votes for the president, none of us have voted for the president. And I think all the time we spend talking and thinking and watching coverage about it is a waste of time we could be spending organizing. 
Yeah, I, I really wish there was the same energy around putting all of our efforts into Workers Strike Back. That is launching in March and there's different chapters. Nick is actually going to speak at the launch in Seattle. He's going to fly out there. And I think like, why aren't, why isn't there that push? I mean, I know I've been telling you guys about it, but my thing is, is like, why put the energy in trying to do another presidential race again, which we already know you're going into a system that's already corrupt. That's already gonna, you know, fail any type of candidate that is running on progressive policies, which the DNC is already going to find a way to fix it and to rig it like they always do. Why put all of our energy and eggs into that basket again after Bernie Sanders two times in a row when we already know what is going to happen instead of telling people to put their energy into worker movements into something like worker strike back? That's my question. Yeah, we didn't end child labor or get the weekend or the 40 hour work week or any of the things workers have gotten through electoralism. We got it through strikes and through work organizing. And that's something a lot of younger people are starting to realize too. I was reading an article about that a couple of months ago that they're realizing that a lot of these wins, like when JB and I say we haven't had any wins in reference to the left, that's true. But most of the wins have been happening between the workers. That's where those wins are really at. It's not, it hasn't happened politically for us because we even watched them shoot down $15 minimum wage and it was seven Democrats that voted against that. Yeah, Go. so I, you know, my primary challenge to everybody listening is all the time you would spend on the horse race you spend on organizing and on research and on Heck, even just reading a book, just spend it doing something else. Don't, I think it's, it's so like, this is like the prison that our minds live in. The prison state is in our minds as well. And this is a big part of it. And I don't know about you, but every time I hear about the election cycle coming around, I feel like it's drudgery. But when I think about organizing co-ops or I think about organizing a protest or working on seizing the means of production, that feels exciting to me. It doesn't feel like drudgery. Right. Like, where is this same energy and push to get people to be a part of worker co-ops? Like, this message shouldn't just be coming from Richard Wolf. It shouldn't just come from you or those of us at RBN. That should be coming from everyone, especially those who have large platforms, because we have to be real here. Even if someone like Marianne Williamson were to win, you would still have to operate in this corrupt capitalist system. So you still have to, the worker issues would still be a problem. So you have to find a way to give the workers that power back. And one of the ways that you do that is through worker cooperatives. But I feel like that push isn't there and it's really. And, you know, Eric's talking in the chat there. We talk about everything but the money and it's true, right? It's like worker. And, you know, this is what I was explaining your show, Savvy, you know, when I was on your show, it's like, when we seize the means of production with worker co-ops, then we have the money to run our ballot measures, the money to do everything we want to do politically, the money for the mutual aid. Like if you had, a, you know, you had a company making liquor, the profits from that company could fund Rome to do so much more work than any of our elected politicians ever do for us. I agree. And a lot of this money that is going to end up going 
Marianne Williamson's campaign could also be going towards those things. And that's why I keep telling people like Bernie Sanders got over a hundred million dollars from us. And just imagine what that money could, what we could have done with that money to help people. Exactly. People even, like even, even if we didn't do something ambitious, like make a co-op with it or, or start doing something, like, even if we just gave people direct aid with it, just feeding people, giving people, you know, a year's rent, stuff like that. I mean, it's like, that's the thing. Nobody talks about the money and how do we get the money? We get the money by seizing the means of production. I don't know why people don't talk about this more or have this kind of analysis. I know. That's why I said it can't just be like someone like Richard Wolf. Like, I know that's his thing, but it needs to be discussed more. And I think like I'm the only one, like I'm looking back on it. And I think I might be one of the few who had people like you on to talk about worker cooperatives. And, and I think we need to hear from more people who have done it, more everyday people who have done it and not just like Richard Wolf, because people will listen to what he says about it. But at the same time, some people will look at him as though, okay, he's also an academic. So people need to hear from everyday people that have started their own worker co-ops so they can learn how to do them as well. Yes. That's my take. I mean, I'm, I'm a thousand percent in, in favor of the, you know, worker co-ops and, and getting them doing them and, and pushing them and whatnot. But I think to really, it, I, I think we really need to be hitting it. It, it seems like a, a long ways around to hitting the, the source of the money. I mean, we're not going to all of a sudden create enough worker co-ops to, to compete with the corporate money in the system. And, and even if we did, I mean, we don't want more money in the system. We, we need less money in the system. And so while I'm in favor of all that, I, I guess I'm just saying, I'm proposing that we really push attacking the money directly, which to me means um, ballot initiatives for public financing of campaigns. It means pushing more um, regulation of money in politics. I think it means calling out political corruption at all levels and trying to make that toxic just as part of our whole talking points and our thoughts. In, in our, you know, what we talk about. And, and if we're coming up against the Supreme Court striking these things down because they've declared that money is speech and corporations are people, then it becomes also a big push to, to fix that with a move to amend style constitutional amendment. And so I guess I'm trying to call out really pushing on those things to really take it on directly. Well, it's all connected, Eric, because so for instance, in my city in 2020, we had two ballot measures going for legalizing psilocybin mushrooms for medical use. One of them was paid for by a soap company. So one man at a company, a capitalist at the company said, I'm going to take the profits of this company and pay for this ballot measure. The other ballot measure was paid for by a worker cooperative who, who started fundraising for the ballot measure, paying themselves to fundraise, hiring more workers they fundraised enough money for the ballot measure. So one, one of them is one person using the means of production to fund a ballot measure. And the other one is the workers collectively using the means of production that they seized to fund a ballot measure. So, so like uh, uh, if we have a, a you know, union or, or credit unions or co-op banks, that is seizing the means of money production 
a bank actually produces money, right? So it's sort of like seizing the means of production is linked to all organizing because it is the way we it is the way we organize. When you run a ballot measure, that is the citizen seizing the means of ballot measure production. Yeah, I guess I just feel like we need to really have a real focus on 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 the money, and that means prioritizing ballot measures for clean elections, for public financing of elections. That means prioritizing pushing for a constitutional amendment to fix money of speech. And I guess I'm, I'm just not seeing that prioritizing out there. I think that the priorities of the people who are in the movement are good. There's just not enough people in the movement. There's not enough of us organizing because we're spending our time in the trappings of the media cycle. But I should let other callers take the take the head. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Sir, Mark. good talk. Marker. Marker. Yeah, I, I think I think it's important to say like what do you mean by focusing on, Eric? Because I think that's where the disconnect is. Because for example, Marco was bringing up like ballot initiatives. Nobody talks about ballot initiatives more than I do. So I think that's the thing. Like, this is why I brought on uh, Senator Eldridge so he could talk to us about the public banking. That's another thing that is needed. And so he could talk to us about his legislation. So he could talk to us about also the ballot initiatives and the reality and how much money we would need to raise. But the thing is, is like, what do you mean by focusing on? Well, I, I would put it to you this way. If, let's say, everything went swimmingly and, and we, we passed the ballot initiative or even the law, whichever way, to get public banks, you still have this paid-off, corrupt state legislature in place, and they're going to be making the rules, and they're going to mess with it, and they're going to fuck it up. I mean, they're going to make it work towards their interests more than ours. And so until we fix that, I just think everything's screwed. That's what I'm talking about by prioritizing prioritizing public financing and clean elections, especially at the state level. Right. So that's something that we can try to do at the state level, but on the national level, that attempt has been blocked every time. Like, I, well, then, I think that's the problem. And then at the national level, that means pushing move to amend constitutional amendment, and it means trying to inspire a mass movement of, of people to, to, to push for that and make that a rallying point and really focus on that. Anyways, I'm talking too much. So but yeah. Yeah, no, I, I just think it's important to explain because not everyone listening knows what you mean by move to amend. Like not everyone mm -hmm. knows what that is. So it's it's basically right now the way the Supreme Court interprets the the law and, and the constitution, they interpret money as speech. So if you have if you're a billionaire, then you get you can spend all the money you want. And if anyone tries to pass a law or regulation to stop you, the Supreme Court's going to come in and say, "Oh no, they're just expressing their speech. They just happen to have a billion dollars of speech and whatnot." And so that's one thing to fix. And you so you pass a very simple constitutional amendment that just says money is not speech, and the states and federal government have the right to regulate those things. And then the other one, similarly, is corporations are not people. Right, but but what for the people listening? What is move to amend? What is it? Right, so so move to amend is an organization. They've been around for a few years. 
um, around pushing for that. That's their central thing. That's that's their whole goal is to is to um, is to get that constitutional amendment passed. It's it, it's a tough road. I mean, it's a really it, it's a really hard thing to do. And you know, the, the way they're organized and the way they do things, they're kind of you know they're they're kind of cozy with with the Democrats. And it's tricky because you need like your current Congress to push through some of the parts of this or there's other ways through the state houses. And so it is a little bit tricky with them as an organization, but in terms of like the, the actual amendment, it's really simple, it's really elegant, it's basically just those two things that I laid out, and it's something that really no one who's acting in good faith on all this would, would argue against. And so I think whether in addition to or with what they're doing with trying to get it through Congress and getting uh, congressional co-sponsors, I think we also need to be inspiring a mass movement to demand these things around the money. Uh, I feel like that's a path to, to really make something happen. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I've reached out to move to amend multiple times and I've never heard back from this organization, not once. So I think that's mm-hmm. some of these organizations are not responsive. And so you have people who really do want to get involved and want to like spread this message to people, but the organization at hand that is going to put this forward, they're just not responsive. That's, that's part of the problem. Yeah. And I think we just need to start doing it ourselves. You know, it's, it's what I'm proposing as well. But I think the problem is I don't know how to do that. Like, that's the thing. That's why I think we need to talk to them to see how to do it. But if, if well, there are I mean, people let's that try to, know how to do yeah. it, then, then that's something that we can work on. Yeah, I mean, you know, let's work on it, try to get the peeps together and, and see how we can collaborate. All righty. Let's bring in uh, James. James, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. I can, you are very low. No, we can't hear you at all. Um, are you using a blue a Bluetooth or earphones? That's that's why we can't hear you. I think. No. I can hear you now. Okay. Um, so my general question is: I want to know, with all of Biden's uh, promises that he's uh, failed on, uh, how can like democratic democratic voters not vote for a more progressive candidate? Or is it Marianne's responsibility to kind of invigorate the voting base to, I guess, vote for um, just vote for themselves or not vote against their own, um, um, I guess, their own interests, right? That's my general question. That's a good question. Um, Honestly, I would say the same reason why people didn't show up for Bernie the same right. reason why people didn't show up for him, because I went to the Bernie rally here in Boston for his 2020 campaign. There were uh-huh. over 10,000 people, over 10,000 people that showed up. But when it came time to vote, the numbers weren't there. Right. And and that's the unfortunate part is that some people felt guilt tripped that if you voted for Bernie and he won, then he would lose to Trump. And I heard that from several people. So even some of the people who were Bernie supporters, all those people that came out to the 
This guy filled arenas. And right. and that's the thing that that I I was saying about with Marianne Williamson. I don't see Marianne Williamson filling those stadiums like Bernie Sanders could. Right. Especially considering the fact that there's still a lot of people on the left that still like Bernie Sanders. And it has been announced recently from via Rokana that if Joe Biden does not run in 2024, Bernie Sanders will be running. So then you would have Bernie Sanders versus Marianne Williamson, and that would be a wrap right. for Marianne. So I think I think that's a really good question. Like, why didn't people show up? Like they were, they should have. People should have really showed up. And I, I gotta tell you, the number of people I heard from that said they were afraid that Bernie Sanders would win and then he would lose to Trump. So they believed the mainstream media narrative. So they ended up voting for Joe Biden. And that's really unfortunate. And then by the time Super Tuesday came around, after mm-hmm. Joe Biden won South Carolina, by the time Super Tuesday came around, a lot of people had believed that logic. They were like, well, Joe Biden won South Carolina, so I better go with the person that I think is better suited to beat Donald Trump. So that's what happened there. It's unfortunate. Do you think that some voters or I guess most of the Democratic voters kind of fear, I guess, veering out and kind of taking a leap of faith on progressive candidates because they're so accustomed to more of like a corporate, I guess, um, candidate other than someone who has different, I guess, beliefs that are more representative of what like the average American wants and actually needs? Yeah, they, unfortunately, they believe the media lies about uh, progressive policies and what would happen if we moved closer towards some type of socialism. They believe the media smears that we would end up being like Venezuela or or Cuba. And what's also unfortunate, and this is something JB and I have talked about quite often, a lot of African-American voters are are capitalists and want to be capitalists, do not want to embrace any type of socialism. And that was a reality check for me when Bernie ran in 2020 and me trying to convince people to, you know, you should vote for Bernie Sanders. Obviously, I thought with his record and especially his history with civil rights that more black people would want to vote for him. But what I found along the way, and Nick talks about this as well, what I found along the way is that weren't too keen on moving closer towards any type of socialism, even though some of them agreed with, yes, everyone should have healthcare in this country. Once they turned on CNN or Fox News or MSNBC, that's the thing, all of them were against Bernie Sanders. Right. So once they turned onto those outlets and they started to hear these things like the U.S. will become Cuba or they started to hear the smears from Bernie about Bernie Sanders, about him being misogynic, uh, misogynistic or, you know, him being like racist or whatever. You know, again, I felt like Bernie Sanders didn't push back on those smears the way that he have. And Bernie right. Sanders should have really ran on his record like his his record with his history with the civil rights movement in this country, he should have really ran on that while Joe Biden lied about his record in reference to civil rights. But Bernie didn't really want to talk about it. He didn't really want to push it. And the reason being is because he was afraid that if he focused on that too much, that that would alienate the white working yeah. class. What he also, did he also feel like it would he, he would be expelled from the Democratic Party in a way? Because if he goes too far to the left, then ultimately he could just be, I guess, I don't know, a pariah, like no one would really want to be involved with him, right? So is it like you can only go so far, just like with the progressive now, like with AOC, you there has to be some degree of um, complacency. Yep. 
right? Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Or they'll, they'll push you out just like they did Cynthia McKinney and just like they did Dennis Kucinich because Bernie Sanders had already decided at the beginning of the, at least the 2016 one, I'm not sure about the 2020, but I've interviewed multiple people that told me they spoke to him at the beginning of that election. And he had already said that if he lost, he would be supporting Hillary Clinton. And they were trying to get him back then to start a third party movement. He didn't want to do it. Okay. All right. Sad. That that was my only question. It's my first time calling in. So thank you. Thank you. All right, Noel, we're going to bring you in. You just have to unmute and then I'll go to Terry. Good evening, um, Sabrina and everybody. Um, My thoughts are, as you may imagine, that, you know, Nina Turner is moving more into being a bad faith actor as well as uh, Marianne Williamson because what we know if we're looking at the objective facts of what has happened in this nation's history, what we know is that the system is designed to consolidate the power in the hands of the elite. And it the one thing that we have discussed and we notice is that as they inquire or encounter challenges along the way through the decades, They learn from every mistake. They learn from the civil rights movement. And so you see in the 70s, a doubling down on the consolidation of power. You have the Powell memo. You have the Powell doctrine. You have all these things that are making it more and more difficult for the voices of the people to actually be incorporated into what we call the democratic process. You know, from the very beginning, we know that the descendants of slaves and the slaves were not allowed to vote. You fight for that. Women were not allowed to vote. So as we move through history and we see those fights along the way and we come to where we are today, there has been a doubling down instead of the, 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 Um, corridors of democracy opening up and the system becoming more democratic, it is becoming less and more difficult to get there. And so what sense does it make to have a progressive or any other kind of challenger to Joe Biden when you know that the system is designed to filter that voice out? The only thing they're going to let Marianne Williamson or anybody else do is act as the shepherd for the liberals and the left to get them to fold into the tent behind the the designated nominee, which would be Joe Biden. That's what we've seen. Bernie Sanders made commitments prior to running that he would support, support the eventual nominee. If Marianne is serious, she will be screaming at the very beginning when they're telling her, oh, you're going to have to pledge to support the eventual nominee, which they have already predetermined is going to be Joe Biden. So if she was serious, she would be scrapping at the very beginning saying, oh, this is not going to work because they're trying to make me sign this pledge and I'm not going to do it. But if you 
follow the rules that they control and they set up, those rules are always going to fold you into the tent at the end. And so at best, Marianne um, Williamson has the opportunity to become Bernie Sanders 2.0 and no more. We've talked about how in the last presidential cycle when Joe Biden was running third, fourth, and fifth in the first three primaries, Obama and um, the one out of South, Jim Clyburn stepped in, got the other people to step out and cleared away. And then when we moved into that Southern suite where the black vote counts, Joe Biden was able to subsume all the votes and suck all the air out of the room. And next thing you know, he's the nominee. And in preparation for that, they have moved South Carolina to the top of the line first in the primaries. They're doing it in real time. Mm -hmm. There is no opportunity in the system as it is constructed for anyone to win outside of what they're designating. When Ross Perot was the only candidate to get, like, I think he got 10 or 20 percent of the vote in, in that election that included, um, I think it was either, I forget who. It was Bill Clinton and Bill uh, Clinton. George H. Bush. At that time, the presidential debates were being coordinated by the League of Women Voters. After yeah. that happened, both the Democrat and the Republican Party came together and created this commission on presidential re debates to take away the opportunity for a third voice to really weigh in. Again, they're consolidating the the power. And like I said in the comments earlier, a two, a, a political system dominated by two parties is an oligopolistic setup. They're consolidating the power between a binary choice between A and B when A and B are both of the same elite class. So when one of them loses, they're not as distorted and disappointed as we are because they know as an elite, Trump is not going to do a whole lot that's going to damage elites. The Clintons and Obama and Biden are not going to demonstrate or do any type of things that would damage the elites. And that's really what their concerns are. So they can have a, a quasi, you know, proxy fight amongst themselves over who gets to run the office, this and that. But at the end of the day, they know their class interests are protected. So what we're looking at in this in this situation is we really do have to alert people to the systemic barriers to any type of change happening. And which means the only way we get heard is through a serious third party movement. And yep. it's going to be the long range because of the barriers that they have built in to third parties. And it's, it's difficult to get people who have been programmed for short-term gratification and instant gratification for everything to get them to buy into the reality that it may be your grandchild's lifetime before this thing works. Bernie Sanders was in the best position to move to a third party movement. And he had gotten people, he and Obama both had gotten people 
who had been disenfranchised and alienated from the voting process to participate. When you get those people to come into the process and you betray them, they are worse off psychologically than before they ever voted because they're saying to themselves, why did I do this anyway? Because I knew it wasn't going to be nothing and this is what you do. And so we're in a place where the games they've played have really demoralized the people who are in the most need. And I believe the faith that the system will deliver is so torn into shreds that it is hard for people like you and us who are speaking in the grassroots movement to even get people to get involved yep. because it is just so bad. It's it's very difficult now for people who don't understand, like all those people that came out for Bernie Sanders, it's even hard just to get people motivated to want to even participate in any type of grassroots thing. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I went to Rage Against the War Machine rally. There was between like 1,000 to 2,000 people there. But to be honest with you, I honestly think had it been like two, three years ago, we probably could have had even more numbers. Even with the if Bernie Sanders had gone on and and not, you know, and here's my thing. If you claim to love this country as he does, this man has enough time invested to retire. At some point, you have to say, for the good of my people, for the good of this nation, I have to do this tough thing. I know they're going to try and browbeat me. But the urgency of now is that we build out this third party movement. I have so much um, disenchantment with Bernie Sanders because he is an insider. He knows the mm -hmm. most. He knows the Clintons and the Bidens and all of these people. He knows them through and through, not only as political people, but as people, period. And you put yourself and your priorities to get back in the Senate and be a committee chair or this and that, you put that ahead of the nation you claim to love. If I can read the moment, surely he can read it. And he continues to be controlled opposition and let them sheepdog him in when he had the best voice to reach the people when he betrayed them, it's going to be difficult. And then you can line up Elizabeth Warren right behind him. There is no real energy amongst that leadership class to really speak truth to the people and, and say this system needs overhauled and we cannot do it from the inside. They're not going to allow it. But you just can't get that because everybody's trying to, AOC trying to maintain her positioning. Even Nina Turner is trying to maintain her position in that democratic orbit. You know, if anybody knows that this system is going to undermine you, it's Nina Turner. When do you come out with the voice that you have and just say, listen, it's not going to work through the Democratic Party. We have to. And then you join up with the Samish Sewants and these people and the Chris Hedges and all these people and say, we have got to build this momentum outside of this system because on either side of the aisle, Democrat or Republican, 
they are not going to let it happen. The system is moving to save itself. Yeah. And that's puts, what's really going on. They put so many barriers in place. Like, oh, absolutely. Noel's correct. Like, it would have been, he had the numbers. He had so many numbers. Like, just imagine if he turned that into, all right, guys, we're going to be a third party movement. Think about all the people. We would already have it for people saying we're we have going to. We're yeah, going to be the that, um, independent party that yep. I have been an independent voice for all these years. Now we will find us. Yep. And the, th the truth of it is, Savvy, there are more people who self-identify as independents in this country than either Democrat or Republican. Mm -hmm. That tells you something. But at the end of the day, they make it come down to this binary choice between A and B between the Tyrannosaurus Rex and the alien from outer space. It's always two mutually unacceptable choices, and they make it that way. They're saying, okay, the Democrats are telling you that they're not really interested in Joe Biden. He's 80 years old. He's been, you know, for some of us, we've understood his 40-year career to be one of lying and misleading in this net. But okay, the, even the people who don't believe he is that, they see him as old and sometimes feeble. They're going to force feed you him by ratcheting up fear over Trump. And it's just like, yeah, we know, but he's controllable for the elites. When he said nothing much for the rich will change under my administration, he was in. And so it's like, yep. it's just so few options out there for real substantive change until you alert the people and get them from being distracted by entertainment and trying to survive and say, listen, if we are going to be saved, we really will be the one who save ourselves because, and here's the thing, they're going to fight you along the way. I heard the interview you did with the um, legislator from, from Massachusetts. And he was talking about, you know, getting these initiatives started. And at one point he said, you know, if this, as this gains momentum, big money will come out from the woodworks and they're going to fight you tooth and nail. If yep. you try and organize these um, state banks there, once it looks like it might take root or might become a reality, they're going to come at you tooth and nail. And that is just not about those initiatives. It's about anything that portends to take their power. They will organize. And, you know, who has a Supreme Court to say, "Ooh, corporations are people and money is speech. I mean, at least, come on. At least Senator Eldridge was was honest about that. He was honest. Yeah, like, but I just, mean, it, it makes you want to stick your head in a food processor to hear somebody say money is speech when you know you got people out there with all kinds of money and the the poorest people only have a vote to speak with. Yeah, That's why we, we never a, get to truth. We we have a gentleman coming on. Um, I say we because Roger was the one who um, introduced me to him. There's a gentleman coming on next week um, to talk about public bank for Philadelphia. So I think uh, there's different ways that you can do this. It doesn't necessarily have to be just with the state. You can also have right. one. It seems like you'd also have one with the city. So he's going to come on and explain that whole process and all that jazz. But uh, but to your point, Noel, like every time there have been these successful movements, 
the government has come in and they put in barriers to prevent that type of uprising from happening again. Like the civil rights movement, the women's movement, like they put things in place. Like you said, Ross Perot, like he got on the debate stage. Granted, he was also like a billionaire. So he was able to get that money quickly. But again, they put in barriers to make it harder for independent and third party candidates because they, and they put that together after he demonstrated that a third voice could be a threat to the A and B selection. They came together. Democrats and Republicans came together and put together the commission on presidential debates. So what it says to us is that, listen, if you threaten this system for all the rancor that Democrats and Republicans, you know, put on for a show, if you threaten the system, they'll come together quicker than you can believe and right. and, and put something together to protect their collective class interests. And that's the thing that it's like, it's so hard to get the masses to realize that the fundamental divide is class. Then you got all those other sub issues that work as subterfuges to coalition building. But the basic thing is class. And, you know, it's just sad. It's just sad. Mm-hmm. Let me go ahead and bring in James. Um, were you finished, James? Because if so, I'm going to bring in Terry. If you were finished there with your statement. Finished. Thank you. Okay. All right. I'm going to bring in Terry. Terry, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello, Sabi. Hello. How are <laughs> Good. you? Good. I'm so happy I finally got a chance to uh, talk to you. And um, Noel is exactly right. I mean, basically, we know the system is rigged. And, you know, um, I, I, I was just so happy to be on that meeting with Senator El- Eldridge. Oh, wait, uh, this, this Boston Terry? Yes. Yeah, I hear the accent. <laughs> <laughs> Boston's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was so um, happy to be a part of that meeting. I'm so happy that Betsy reached out to me about that meeting um, because, you know, as I was saying, you know, public banking is definitely needed. My my biggest fear is about the big banks coming in with all the lobbying money and trying to shut us down. But you know, we can definitely um, organize, you know. Um, I'm an organizer here in the Boston area, um, and there's so many different organizations here um, to work around. I mean, um, I don't know if you ever heard of City Life Urbana. They're in Jamaica playing. Yes. But, yep, they work around, you know, foreclosures and everything. And around maybe, I want to say around around a month ago now, there was a rally at the State House on rent control. And there was a few organizations that had got that together. So, um, you know, as, as being an organizer, I just would like to work on that, on that issue on the public banking. Um, you know, whatever you need me to do, uh, Betsy has my email. So whatever you need me to do as far as organizing, um, you know, let me know. And uh, I'm willing to work on this issue because you know, it's, it's really ridiculous. It's, you know, these banks, these big banks, they rip us off, you know, with, you know, all these type of fees that we have. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, but I know, um, also there are a few banks here, like in Jamaica Plain. I think it was, uh, I can't remember the name of the bank, but it's right there. And I like around by Center Street. They, they also 
helped um, different organizations get off their feet and give loans out and things like that and funding. Um, some of the banks, you know, the local banks do help nonprofit organizations with funding. And um, and so I don't know if that may be an avenue that we can look at, too, as far as, you know, funding is concerned. But um, sometimes we don't even really need, like, a thousand people to start a movement. I mean, if we just, you know, we're not going to be able to, like, convince everyone. But if we just start off slow and build momentum on this movement, it's possible. Anything's possible if we put our minds to it, right? A hundred percent. Like, we got to start somewhere. And I think that's what people... People need to understand, even with the civil rights movement, they started locally first. They didn't start like a national movement right off the bat. They started locally and it grew. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, yeah. And so, I mean, there's there's definitely, you know, one thing I love about living in Massachusetts is that we're pretty progressive. And, you know, like you were saying in some of the other um, lives that you had did is that, you know, a lot of the states look for Massachusetts because, like you said, like we were the first ones around, um, you know, legalizing the marijuana. We were like the first ones around gay marriages. So, you know, we do have a lot of progressive issues. I was so excited when we won on the ballot on the um, initiative to tax the rich. But uh, oh, that was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, people don't understand, but, like, that took time. That wasn't the first mm-hmm. time that that was presented. That was presented a couple years ago. Actually, it was more than a couple years ago. And then they brought it back around again, but we were able to get it passed. And I think that yeah, it, it it was close, but it still passed. And I think that if I had the opportunity to speak on that, that Senate floor about Medicare for all Massachusetts, that's what I would sell them on. Like, don't you want to be the first state? Don't you want to be the first? Massachusetts is known as like the state of first. Sell them on that shit. Right. So then they can brag about it later on and say, we did it first. Da, 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 da. Use Thank it as a bragging point because otherwise, like. Exactly. And also, like, I don't know if you remember, but maybe this was about maybe nine or 10 years ago, but I was part of an organization where we advocated for people with criminal uh, records. And um, we basically, along, you know, my organization, along with many other organizations, we were able to change the Corey laws when Governor Deval Patrick was in office. And we marched and we did everything and we went to the state house and we we met with legislators, senators, representatives. I mean, we we met with everyone, but with, you know, we were determined and we got that passed. So, you know, we were able to change the Cory laws here in Massachusetts, just, you know, on believing in a cause. And it took some time, but we got it passed. And Governor Doral Patrick changed the laws around Cory issues. I don't know. Of course, every, I'm pretty sure everyone knows here what the Cory issues are, criminal, you know, offender record information. So... Um, yeah, but we were really excited, but it took a lot of work, you know, going up to that state house, you know, day after day and meeting with senators and trying to help them to get the bill passed. It took work, but we did it. And that's something I, you know, my organization and many other people are so proud of. So, you know, just from one idea, things can't get done. Um, but I remember as you were speaking um, with the live you did, thank you for doing that, um, that live with Mass Care on the single payer. Yep. That was really, really great. And they're doing a lot of work around Western Massachusetts. And um, I thought you brought up a good point about, you know, bringing really like real issue, you know, real stories to the cause because that does help. Um, 
And what's really sad is that, you know, even though sometimes you have those real live stories, they just don't give a damn. You know what I mean? Um, they just don't care. And, and so, um, you know, there's so much, there's so many avenues that we can work around to, to try to get this uh, on a ballot initiative. Um, so I'm, I'm just looking forward to meeting, um, you know, more doing more work around this, uh, public banking issue. So whatever you need me to do, I'm here to help. I live in the inner city, but I'm pretty sure we can connect somehow, some way. So just let me know how I can be of help with this public banking issue. Definitely, Terry. Thank you so much. I'm going to bring in Roger Meadows because I'm sure you have something to say uh, about this as, as well. Because the thing is, is like, like I said, like I'm really trying to encourage people to organize locally and to try to make things happen locally, right? Because that's where a lot of these wins are happening, whether it's through electoral politics or whether it's through direct action or whether it's through organizing the workers. Like if we look at what Chris Smalls did, that was a local action and he organized locally and then it started to spread like other Amazon warehouses were like, well, maybe we can do it too. Same thing with Starbucks. It started at one local Starbucks first, and then it started to spread across the country. So we have to start locally. And I really want people to take that, that initiative. And I think that what I want people to understand, and, and I know some people, some of you guys have reached out to me and said that you, you plan to support Marianne and that's, that's totally fine. You know, you do what you feel is best, but what I don't want to happen is for you to believe that there is this one person that is going to be your hero and your savior, because a lot of us got caught up with that with Bernie Sanders. And then we were incredibly crushed and Obama and incredibly crushed when it didn't pan out that way. So I think that we have to look at the things that we can do as well. Go ahead, Roger. So um, Terry, uh, so I want to be clear. So a public bank um, encourages you to bank with, um, credit unions and community banks. Okay. It's not like a, I mean, they can do it. They, they can do personal banking, but what they do, what they more do is they're more, it's more used for infrastructure mm-hmm. and to ensure community banks and credit unions. So instead of FDIC, it would be the replacement for FDIC, like SDIC, where instead of F for federal, it's S for state or M for municipal, like MDIC or SDIC. But it encourages you to bank with credit because, you know, like because because it wants credit unions and uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, community banks to be like, uh, don't don't mess with with those. Because what happens is, let's say if you try to get like a mortgage or a loan or something that might be beyond the the uh the pale for um a credit union or a community bank to be able to secure they will usually turn to like the big banks and they'll pass that um that that interest rate to them and then pass it to you so what what a what a public bank would do is it would act as the insurer for credit unions and community banks but its main its main function is to uh, build infrastructure. So just like when um, I had the people from the National uh, Infrastructure Bank Coalition um, come on a Savvy Show and, and a whole bunch of other people's show, that would be like a public bank for the country, right? So the way banks work is they take in deposits and they mark those deposits up and then they issue out loans. When those loans are paid back, okay, 
when the principal is paid back, the interest rate goes toward profit. In the public bank's case, it goes toward building a surplus in the economy. So now, as as like a side effect, even though its main thing is to um is to you know like it takes in those tax deposits, okay, marks them up, and then issues them out as lines of credit to finance projects and infrastructure, which creates jobs in the public sector, which generates more in state income taxes, where those state income taxes gets paid and redeposited back into the public bank. Cool. Uh, redeposited Hunter, back. pick up at nine Gertrude Street. Uh, yeah, gets gets redeposited back into the bank as a way to pay it back, and the and the low interest that was charged on the loan goes toward building a surplus. That's why when um Eric had asked, uh, what do you call it? um the senator about, can you use it for um. Uh, public financing of elections. And he said, no, you could use it for lending. And I had to push back on that. And I told him, well, it builds a surplus. So um, as a result, and from there, social safety net programs like public financing of elections, like healthcare, whatever can draw from that. And if you notice, he didn't, he didn't dispute that. You see what I'm saying? But its main purpose is, is, um, is, is to do that. And um, the other the other thing it does is um, it gets you off of the Wall Street fix because what happens is right the um, outside of North Dakota all the states they have to uh oh uh, did it get cut off I think we lost you Roger. So, Sabi, let me ask you a question then. So we have credit unions, don't we, already here, and and also community banking already here in Massachusetts? I know we have credit unions. I'm not sure about community banks. I have to double check. Okay, because I know there's one in Jamaica plan. I think it's called, like, Eastern Bank or something like that. But I know that was one of the banks that we use. It was a community bank to help us with funding for my organization. Um, I can I can check on it because I know that like we have to move away from the central banks, you guys. We have to move away from the central banks, you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, Roger, I think you have an echo. Oh, Roger, I think you have an echo. I just got in the car. The Bluetooth. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you. Sorry, sorry. So no, nah, I was just I was just saying that. Um, Outside of North Dakota, all the states um, send their taxes to downtown Manhattan to get processed because their community banks and credit unions don't have the processing capability to um, send those, to, to process the taxes on their, their own. So Wall Street processes the taxes, charges a high interest rate for the processing fee, and sends it back to the state. Now, go. Mayors, mayors, county executives, they got to figure out how they're going to pay for it. But, you know, pay for that law. Um, raise taxes. Two, cut back on so- social safety net services. Or three, start privatizing everything. Okay? In North Dakota, they don't do that because their state taxes don't leave the state. They get deposited into the Bank of North Dakota and the cycle begins again. And they keep doing that over and over and over and over. They build a bigger surplus. Um, I wanted to, um, I remember 
a while ago, um, Saul had asked about, he asked, well, how many people are there in North Dakota? And I know where he was, he was going with that because I heard the argument before where, oh, there's not that many people in North Dakota, so that's why it would work. And the, the answer is quite the opposite. You see, the more, the bigger your population, the higher your surplus is going to be with the public bank. So it would work even better in states that are highly populated because you got more people paying into the system and the, and the state and the taxes are not leaving the state. I don't, I don't know if... Uh, no, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that, um, again, um, the gentleman from Philly, he'll be on next week to talk about Philadelphia Public Bank. So I think that's going to be educational for a lot of people too. Um, but in, in reference to like what Eric was saying about getting electoral or getting corporate money out of electoral politics and pushing for like the move to amend, that is something that we could, you know, start working on because it's true until you get the money out of electoral politics, like we're always going to run into this issue because the politicians are going to answer to their donors just regardlessly. Like it's the money has to go. And I think at one point, there was a push to end Citizens United. Now, I know that's just a small a small part of this, but I feel like that momentum kind of went away. Like at one point, like people were saying in Citizens United, but then it just disappeared. That was the Cenk Uger project. Okay, never mind. That explains it. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, it's kind of like the Democratic, it's the usual Democratic Party strategy of, talking about doing something to avoid actually doing anything. Mm. I think the whole Citizens United quote-unquote push. Also, Eric, I wanted to um, answer, like, your question. Oh, oh, it wasn't really a question. I guess let's respond or whatever. Um, Regarding the public bank, in, in terms of worrying about it getting corrupted, that's the reason why you have you, the well. Number one, that's the reason why you pass it as an amendment initiative, and and I know in Massachusetts it's harder to do that. But I'm just saying that's why you pass it as an amendment initiative rather than a law initiative. Okay, because if it's an amendment initiative, um, then the government has to ask you, hey, can we uh, repeal this or can we amend this or whatever? But with the law, they don't have to. They just do it all by themselves. Now, I do have something, you know, because I've, I've been studying this since public banks since 2010. I do have something written out that can make it airtight. Okay. Um, I got, you know, I'll, I'll send it to you again, or whatever the case is, right? But um, it's kind of like, okay, so one example was like, if you remember when we were speaking with the senator on the, um, on the, on the private Zoom or whatever, right? Um, I had said to him, you have two um, boards. You got nine member board of directors, right? That will make the decision. Okay. And then you have an 18 member advisory board that gives input. Now the advisory board are people that represent the community and the public interest. I said, well, it's good to have input, but if they have no power, it means nothing. So I was like, if you want to make it tight, you got to include those on the advisory board 
in the board of directors and they have to and they have to outnumber the people who are picked on already picked that you already have picked for the board of directors which you know would be the people that know how to run either a, a public bank or a, a credit union or um what do you call it the uh community banks or cdfis and all that different type of stuff to make sure that it stays anchored to the community you see what i'm saying so there are ways to do this now outside of a u.s constitutional amendment we're not going to be able to um what's that word uh uh, uh limit big money in politics but what i disagree with that but we already have we, can, we already have limits right now there are there are campaign limits and whatnot. They're not great, and they've been under you know attack and and whatnot. But I think this concept that, that can be done, I, I think it, it, I think there are lots that can be done. You know, I think no, it's no, I say, to craft a a clean elections amendment or law for Massachusetts that goes a long ways. But it's also the concept of a, of a movement, you know, of getting people inspired. I mean, everybody, you ask anybody, is Congress corrupt? Is your state legislator corrupt? You know, all the hands go up. Yeah, of course they are. Well, let's use that. I, I just think until we until we clean up these legislatures in this Congress, I, I just think we're screwed. I'm 100% in your corner, Roger. I'm with you, and I'll, I'll work for public banks and whatnot. But I think until we get to the root of this, we're screwed, generally. No, no. But what I was going to say is that yeah, we, we have those things, but it's it's not really robust and competitive. So what I was thinking was was this, right? Since we can't uh, uh, bring the big money down to size, to our size, okay, what about instead they, you, they said, okay, the Supreme Court said that money is speech. So it's protected by the First Amendment, which we all know is bullshit, right? Yeah, so, I was going to say, I this? think... Um, and I think I mentioned this before. Oh, did I lose? Yeah. It? I, oh. No, I was just going to say, um, if I remember correctly, I have to go back and check my notes. But if I remember correctly, Robert Reich, who I know annoys the, the crap out of me and out of a lot of you, I understand. But at one point, Robert Reich ran for governor in Massachusetts and he ran against Jill Stein. And if I remember correctly, I think one of the things that he tried to do was to get corporate money out of electoral politics. Yeah, well, is, is back when he ran, we, we, back when, when Robert Reich ran, the, the Clean Elections Ballot Initiative law was was in place. And like Jamie Eldridge noted, that when he got elected, he used those funds. And there, there's no reason it, it couldn't come back. They did, they did shenanigans so that the legislature, like, overturned it. But, I, you know, I just think it's something we need to prioritize if we're going to get serious about really fixing shit up. Oh, yeah. so, okay, so, so if it was in place, then we can put it back in place, basically. Yep, clean elections, too. You know, the sequel. Yeah, my, my, my phone ended up going black, and, and I ended up getting cut off. <laughs> they got to fix this app. Um, but what I was saying was, was this, right? Since we can't bring the, the big money down because it's... Uh, Oh, excuse the nerd talk, bro. <laughs> um, since we can't bring the the, uh, the big money down because it's protected by the First Amendment, what about using the 14th Amendment against the First Amendment? 
Meaning, the 14th Amendment means equal protection under the law. It's the Equality Amendment. So if things are not equal, it's the government's responsibility to make things equal. So what you do, right, is you have a robust public financing of election law to multiply, I mean, to really multiply small dollar donations that are made under $201 per month for each candidate, okay? And you use that to make it competitive. Now, like I said, um, you still have to get the money from somewhere and governments below the federal government, okay, can't create their own money. So they have to exercise their taxing power, okay? That's why I was saying something like a public bank could come in and, um, and help to, because, you know, because, oh, yeah, another thing, Terry, um, public banks create a surplus in your economy without having to raise taxes or create new taxes. So that's what they've been, so North Dakota has a big surplus, but they have low taxes. Um, I had called up on, um, so Larry Sharp has a, uh, has a radio show. So he doesn't just have a YouTube show. He has a radio show where he broadcasts from upstate, even though he's really in Queens, right? And I had, um, I called up on there and, you know, we was, you know, chopping it up or whatever. And when we was talking about public banks, the person who came on right after me had, had backed me up and, said, and was talking about North Dakota. He says, yeah, the guy was exactly right on, on how North Dakota and, and how the economy is better. And he was talking about the North Dakota public bank and blah, 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 blah. So we already have a 103-year, well, what's, what's 1919? 104-year history. Well, June of 1919 would be 104-year history of proof that a public bank can work. And that's just in a state that has less than a million people. So there's not as many people paying taxes into the system as there would be in a very populous state. You know, so that's what I was um, Terry, anything else I want to go ahead and bring um, in? Dangerous. Yeah, just one quick question for Roger. So um, with this money being raised, then then who would decide, say, if we if we were to raise this money? For, for this, then who would decide where the money goes on what um, community issues? Remember what I said about um, it's all about who runs the bank. Remember I was talking about how um, I said to, but yeah, remember, yeah, you was on the call when I said to the senator, I was like, listen, you got 18 advisory board members who only give input and those advisory people represent the community whether it's the environment, whether it's working co-ops, whether it's um, the black community or whether it's, uh, you know, some marginalized community or good governance, you know, anti-corruption or whatever the case is. So that's made up of 18 members. But the people who are the decision makers, the board of directors, that's nine members. I said, you need to combine both of them. So those in the community representing the community has outnumbers those who are already on the board of directors, giving them the same power to make sure that um, the bank stays honest. You, you see what I'm saying? So that's why, and like on our public banking bill, those positions get rotated every few, even though it's not law, but on the, on the uh, Public Bank of New York Act, those positions get rotated. Also, 
um, I saw in your Massachusetts bill, as well as in our uh, state bank, the public bank of New York bill, um, we, there's, a, uh, there's auditing that would happen at the end of the year to see where the money went. You know, like, so we have our version of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau in New York State is called the Department of Financial Services. Okay, so they would be tasked with doing an audit every at the end of every December to see where the um, money went. Now, that's, of course, after it already went somewhere. They're talking about on the front end where um, deciding where the money would go, so on and so forth. So that's what I was saying, where it would be the, the community, not the politicians. So it's all about how you craft it. You, you feel yeah, I do. I see. Um, I understand. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Thank you. Thank you, Savvy, for having me on. Thanks so much, Terry. All right, I'm going to bring in uh, Dave. Dave, you're the next caller. Just have to unmute. Hello, how are you? Oh, we can't hear you. Um, I'm not sure if you're using uh, a headset or Bluetooth. That tends to happen sometimes. Hey, Savvy, can you hear me? Um, um, yeah. Hey, I, I, hey, thanks. For, uh, yeah, hey, Savvy, I'm, I'm good tonight. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I got, you know, I, I've just, I've been dealing with some stuff. That's what I was talking about. I had that, uh, you know, so I'm in recovery from that uh, procedure. I was taught that I, that I was talking about in the, in the email. So, so, you know, I get to uh, I get to be slow at home for a little while now. So, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I, I hope you're feeling a little bit better. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, uh, hopefully, yeah. I'm, I'm more than three weeks past it now, so that's good. Awesome. What's your take on all of this, uh, Dave? Do you think it's worth it for someone to primary challenge Joe Biden, given how the system is in place right now? Oh my God! I mean, yeah, the federal—you know—the federal—the federal situation is going to be really tough. Tough. I mean, not—I mean, a primary within within one of the two within the Democrat. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, third party. You know, not not within the Democratic Party. I don't think that's not possible right now. But I think you'll see a lot of government collapse between, you know, both the Fed and the. You'll see like aspects of collapse between. It won't collapse completely, but there'll be aspects of collapse, I think, between now and uh, next fall. So it's hard to say what's going to happen uh, at, at, at when the when the race picks up more. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Twenty twenty four is going to be here before you know it. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you're on top of it. You're so smart. I mean, you're so. Uh, I mean, I'm glad you guys are on top of uh, covering both i mean your perspective of you know i don't want to just sit here and praise you but yeah i mean if i had i would be or like if, if i was speaking to people if i speak to people on march 11th that thing like they, you know i'd probably be talking about you know helping people to understand how to do clipboarding door knocking like how do you you know getting phone numbers like right like anytime you're doing door knocking it's really important like you might not have that much of an interaction with someone you might have a little bit you might make a good connection you might make an awesome connection but you're you're trying to get a you know, you want to get their phone number so that you can call them yep. later. 
uh, so for whatever reason, like, you know, so get, it's like trying to get a date when you're young, you know, it's like get, get her phone number, right? You want to like get phone numbers, right? So, um, yeah, yeah, for those who don't know, I want to explain this to people. Uh, workers strike back, at least the Boston chapter is launching March 11th. Uh, I just found out uh, the other day. So I did want to let you guys know about that. I believe that launch is taking place in JP. So um, I'm going to try to make it. If I do make it, I won't be on time because I actually have a debate that day too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I got I got a lot going on that day. But go ahead, Dave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The website where you yeah, I just registered. Oh, the data. I just put it in that from Eric. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I think I was hearing from uh, you and Eric. I'm sorry. I was just saying they have a uh, website where you, where you can uh, register for that event, too. I'll put it in. The- Thanks, Eric. Go ahead, Dave. I'm a little worried about going. It'll be the first time that I've gone to a uh, like other than like, uh, you know, it'd be interesting because I know because, well, it's good to know that Eric's going to be there. And I mean, I'm sure I'll see like I'll probably recognize some of the local. Um, it's, you know. I don't know who I'll recognize there, but uh, it'll be interesting to see, uh, who, like, it'll be interesting to see who walks into the room at that <laughs> at March 11th meeting. That'll be that'll be interesting. Um, I think a lot of the people won't know each other. They will know, you know, it's like they might know each other like the way I know you and Eric. You know, like they won't. Right. You know what I'm saying? So. Right. It's yeah. really weird when I still like honestly till this day. And I know I've been doing this show for like two years now, but it's still very weird to me when people recognize me in public. It's still weird. Like when we went to we went to D.C. for the rally the night before uh, Jimmy actually invited people uh, to his show. He he did a comedy show the night before. Yeah, and so yeah. he, he invited us and it was like so like I went and then Garland Nixon was there, Tara Reid. Um, Jackson Hinkle was there. Jackson Hinkle has security. Did I tell you guys that? That was funny. Um, Jackson Hinkle was there. Uh, Max, Max was there. And I I met, so I met all these people like, and I got to meet, um, Max's wife, Anya, uh, which I'm gonna stop saying that. I I need to stop referring to people's significant others as so-and-so's, you know what I mean? I do. I even, I get called out like on a sexist level sometimes for do like for doing that too much sometimes. Uh, just, call yeah. Mr. Yeah. just call Max Mr. Anya Parent. There we go. So, but- <laughs> even the guys know it's, the guys know it's Anya because she's, you know, she's a very good looking woman. But like, you know, um, I regretted like when I was the first time I was in a Zoom with um, Richard. I knew about Richard Bolt for many years, but like when he came to my friend's show and then Max Blumenthal in your, like I over talked a little bit. When both in a Zoom with both Richard Wolf and with Max Blumenthal at the like at the beginning of when they didn't know those guys didn't know me and uh, you know I like I did that a little you know in like a couple of the public personalities so I, I regret especially with Richard Wolf and with Max I I regretted that a little bit right but I really respect their intellect the intellect of uh, I mean especially those two guys an incredible incredible mind those two guys. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I wasn't expecting anybody to recognize me other than the people who were there that I interviewed, right? Like Garland and all of them. And right. after the show, next thing I knew, all these people were like, Sappy, we love RBN. And I was like, ah, 
Like, <laughs> I was not expected at all. Like, I, I thought I went undetected. I think I was in the third row when I was like, I'm, I'm going unnoticed the whole time. At least that's what I thought would happen. Nope, yeah. that did not happen. So it's really <laughs> weird. Like, people, for the most part, like in Boston, most people, I, nobody really comes up to me in Boston. But every time I go to D.C., it's always people that are like, we love you guys at RBN. Like, so I don't know. I think a lot of our viewers just tend to be in that area. I think that's funny. I think you got a lot of you got a lot of people in the Midlandic, DC, and the South. Like, you got a lot of like in addition to your Boston people. Mm -hmm. It seems like, yeah. I I kind of did that to you. I mean, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't trying to talk to you at the when I saw you at Ron's uh, show. Like, I mean, I did I did walk up to you and but I, I recognized you, so I thought of something to say. You know, but um, I wound up talking to Rome at that. I wound up talking to Rome and Jill Stein at that at that show. Um, oh yeah, Rome show back in yeah back in. Uh, I met you twice in public. We haven't exchanged words, but I met you. You know, I met you twice in public. Uh, Ron show and then at the anti-war demonstration a, while, a little while back. So, yeah. Dave. Interesting. Interesting. Dave. Go ahead, Roger. Hey, Roger. Dave, do you hear me? Yeah. yeah. It's not a it's it's just I'm counting down the time because it's just a matter of time before Savvy go Hollywood on us. <laughs> I mean, no, she's, no. She's definitely oh, the most famous of anyone. You know, anyone. She's going to forget about us. It's like, who are you? Yo, Jackson, uh, what kind of security do you use? Give me some of that. I'm laughing. You know, I'm, laugh I'm laughing here. I'm laughing. You know, so. <laughs> No, oh no, no. That is funny. Someone, someone did ask for my autograph, and it was just weird, like for me, because I, I, I'm, I'm so it begins. To, I'm still not used to that. I'm still not used to it. So, it's and so weird. it begins. Oh, by the way, um, oh, I was hoping you was gonna give us the the uh, the Professor Wolf punchline, um, when you did that segment, because he he which one that was uh, that was. The one you did tonight, right? The the mega corporations, because yeah, that was a that was um a set that that was a setup for him to deliver the answer, which was democracy in the workplace, worker cooperatives, because that because that's what he did. He set you up to show you the problem, and then at the very end, he said the only way to solve this is worker cooperatives. I ran out. I know I was running out of time. That's why I was like, shit. I was like, I spent too much time talking about um, Taiwan and China. Or I spent too much time talking about Nigeria. I think I talked about Nigeria for like 35 minutes. Um, but anyway, I was like, I, I want you guys to go back and watch the full video. Cause I didn't, obviously I don't do the whole thing. Cause I don't have the time to do the whole like thing, yeah, yeah. but Please go back and watch the full video so you can hear him talk about the solutions and all that other all that other jazz. Like he's really good with that stuff, man. I like democracy at work. I feel like I'm in a classroom when I watch that show. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, for Spoiler. sure. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert: He was saying that the the way to solve it is cooperatives. <laughs> yeah, Roger, you had to let people know. Now they're not going to watch the video. <laughs> Oh, they're gonna watch it. I'm, I'm not all the way. I'm not all the way with. I agree with cooperative should be the focus. I agree with we got to move. We got to move away from these moribund fossil, just these unions that don't do shit, don't do any. You know, they're just 
falling apart. They're just getting behind the Democratic politicians. But I agree with you on co-ops. I'm not as I'm not as far as much of a fan of co- of co-ops as Roger or Richard Wolf. Richard Wolf and Roger see they see co-ops as the basic building blocks of the future. And I I'm not quite there. I'm like I'm almost there. I'm not I'm like sixty percent with that. You know, but I understand why Roger's arguing that. I I understand that. So yeah. My, yeah, my I understanding. The, oh, I was just gonna say, I think the first time I first heard about worker co-ops was through Richard Wolf, actually, to be honest. I think that was the first time I heard about it. And when I heard about it, and I thought to myself, like, why aren't more people doing this? So yeah. yeah. Dave, um yeah. who's your well you you know, um well I think I might know the answer, but who's your favorite football team? I mean, I you know it's the, it's the Pats, but just because oh, you know, what is because it? What is I root for the local team, right? Well, I like the Packers. I like the Green Bay Packers because they're they're a public, they're a public team. Ah, so you got yeah. it. I was gonna say that. Yeah. What are you, what are you proving here? What are you proving, Roger? <laughs> the Packers are a cooperative. They're owned by the uh, by the uh, is a consumer cooperative. So the, yeah, of the city, but it's the city and the consumers of the, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Same, that's right. Same with the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Yep. Only two teams. That's a, that's a good trivia question, Roger. Don't you think? Sure. You want to use it? Good, right no, that's a I'm good the nerdiest, question. I'm the nerdiest trivia guy in usually almost in any room I'm in. I just hide it well in order to do, do in order to do like guys, real, real free- world action. Like, my life. Yeah. Feel free to ask any questions about any of the other stories tonight, too, because I know there was a lot said there, but I'm really, really concerned oh. about um, the cash shortage in Nigeria, because I was just thinking to myself, like, this could happen to any other country at any point in time. If you try to take digital currency, which, like, you know, all those scare ads on YouTube are now Telling people like you, it's gonna go like you won't be able to use your assets, you won't be able to use your cash that so you have wherever you have your cash. You want the banks are gonna go digital under the central bank like within three or four years here. But if they try to push that in like three years from now, then not only will that kill homeless people and any any anyone that you could hand like hand cash to to help them, but which is that's one thing. But also, if they try to do that too fast, that's gonna. I mean, like, that would completely reorganize the economy. And, like, it's already, like, what's happening in Nigeria could happen. Um, I don't want to sound alarmist. I, I know I've sounded that way in tone before here. But, you know, the what's happening in Nigeria can easily happen in other countries. When you don't, when when the systems fail and people don't have the, the, the legal tender, you know, the, 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 the exchange thing, then you're immediately back to bartering. And that's why it's good to know how, it's good to know it's survival. Skills. It's good to know how to make, how to grow your own food. To have people locally, you can trade things that you have, like trade with them for other, for other things. Because we could, we could have a period a year from now where, where you know, they've already haven't done enough coins the past while. So we have coin in Boston. We have coin shortages in the stores, but you could have a system, you could have a situation where cash, where the banks can replace people's cash. You know, basically. You know, where your paycheck, you go to cash at the bank and the bank wouldn't have gotten enough cash from the Fed because the mint wasn't running or whatever, you know, for whatever reason. 
or they're trying to go to digital, so they're trying to do less print, less cash. So, yeah, that could happen like a year or two years from now. So, Sabrina, I yes. wanted to, I was cooking up um, a tweet that I was editing that I was going to uh, send this out to you guys. So I read it on Larry Sharp's show, right? So this is, this is what I wrote. I saw the Sawant, Kashama Sawant, I saw the Kashama Sawant interview on Jimmy's show. It's Shama. I'm sorry. It drives me crazy. Not to like yell at you, Roger, but it's just so many people say Kashama. It's Shama. The K is silent. I saw the Shama Sawant interview on Jimmy's show. And they kept speaking about revitalizing the worker movement through unions. It got me thinking, unions don't necessarily represent workers. They represent members. 90% of workers are not union, which means the rest of us are screwed. She then talked about union leadership being corrupt. So she recognizes the problem. Let's not forget the more powerful unions are against single payer healthcare. Back. against single-payer health care, a problem in New York State and California when it comes to the New York Health Act and CalCare. Both their solutions, Jimmy and Sharma, were to revitalize the union movement. Mm-hmm. However, what was absent from the conversation was the very thing that would help workers the most. You see, today, Boss Hogg, Dukes of Hazard reference from the 80s, got a new toy to use against us that he did not have a century ago. Automation, a 21st century scab. He will use against workers to eliminate labor costs. Unions cannot stop the impending slow creep of automation into the workplace. Why? Because you cannot fight a 21st century villain with 20th century weapons time we start vocalizing what was absent from this interview, which is empowerment in the workplace through worker and community ownership of where we work and our institutions via cooperatives. Who's, who's going to vote to let themselves be replaced by a machine without creating a new position for themselves first? Which just goes to show you automation is, is just a tool for the big boss man, which is why we which is why we sh- must start running um, initiatives, preferably as amendments, to create public banks that can provide funding and a path for workers to start, build, proliferate co-ops, partner with other co-ops, forming multi- mo- multiple co-op supply chains via a multi-stakeholder co-op. This way, every step of the way, that product that you purchase off the shelf was made by workers who owned their work, which means pride and quality was put into making a superior product. We need laws that would give the executive branch, whether it's a mayor, governor, or president, the authority to rip company ownership away from shareholders and boss hog and transfer it to the workers when over a period of time, shareholders and boss hog establish a record of egregious behavior, putting communities, workers, consumers, the environment at risk. It's the ultimate regulator, which can be used to tell boss hog and shareholders, yo, cut the shit, 
or you'll no longer have a company. Even take all even take all your profits and give it to the workers. Remember that you remember that Forbes article that said that if Apple were a worker cooperative and the money was distributed evenly among each worker, no matter the position, each worker would get $403,000 per year. Yep. Now, now that's eliminating income inequality for your ass. There you go. Well said, Roger. Yeah, um, yeah that's right, Roger. Yeah. Did you know, the, well, I'll just say one thing and I'll get out of here. The, the situation has changed in terms of, first of all, the unions are, the union movement has been, the, the, a lot of the unions, you know, the, still where people are, there's lots of people there. But some of the unions fight, you know, it, it's a, but a lot of them are, are, are kind of moribund, you know, they're kind of, use like an SAT word, they're moribund union, unions. And like, and but at the same time, cooperatives are rising everywhere. At the same time, a lot of things have been severed by the economic, uh, you know, the economic warfare. So it's, the situation is changing. There's cooperatives are on the rise in a lot of places. Some of them are not great cooperatives. A lot of them are really good. A lot of them are directly challenging the un- the, the bad unions and the bad government in their area. But but the unions also still exist. But I think Roger's right. Jimmy and Shama are, Shama is closer to knowing, like, they're both over optimistic about what, how much fight we're going to get out of the unions in the next two years. I don't, right now, I don't see, unless things really get bad the next few months, I don't see the unions mobilizing to change the government unless, and there's not enough people in them. There's not enough people in the, in the unions now. So. Yeah. I think part of the yeah. idea is to, yeah. is to uh, create unions too. To create yeah, exactly. where they new unions, new unions. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're All right. right. Well, All right. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Yeah, thanks. thanks, guys. Nice talking with you. See you. Maybe see you uh, on March. Or maybe not Tabby, but I'll see Eric on March 11th. Take care. Based. All right. Let's awesome. bring yeah. in Ashura. You're on the mic. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, loud and clear, because I'm on my uh, Bluetooth headphones, unlike Rogers, that always, like, fucks them up for some reason. <laughs> we can hear you just fine. <laughs> uh, if it wasn't for Roger, I would have forgotten about that Kashama Sawat uh, video on Jimmy. It's Shama! I don't know <laughs> what it's saying. The K is silent. Well, I hear people keep pronouncing it. That's not how you pronounce. I only know this because I had a student from India who had the same name, and she used to say this all the time. The K is silent. Okay, Shama Sawant. Okay, I'll, I'll try to remember that. Okay, um, I was watching it, and the chat was losing their fucking minds over what she was saying. I saw it. I saw it too. The yeah, they were losing yeah. their fucking. Yeah, they were, they were losing their fuck. Like you, you, you fuckers are nuts. Why over the? Because of, because of stuff she was saying about how the. Uh... Is that the first? Is that the first time Shama Sawant was on Jimmy Dore? I think that's the first time I saw her. I don't think she was ever on Jimmy. If she was, I never saw it. If that that's the first guys time for me. in the in the chat, let me know. Let me know if she's on there before. But go ahead, Ashura. Yeah, and then like people were fucking losing their minds. Like one woman fucking super chatted saying that oh Kashama's nuts, 
uh, of socialist alternative. They basically uh, she gave you the regular Republican spiel bullshit. Uh, they, 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 they dragged, no, no, they, they ran up, they ran like businesses out of fucking town. They didn't ran business out of town. They what? ran because they were, she, she was doing the thing. She was holding him accountable. I'm like, it was some Republican bullshit. And, and they were telling Jimmy, oh, don't have that back on the show. I'm like, it's not your fucking show. It's, it's Jimmy Dore's show. This is not the first time Jimmy talks about something. You see the chat lose their fucking minds. Like when he well, talks about a- cops. She's a Marxist. So that's the thing. Like she, she is a Marxist. So maybe some of the, maybe some of the newer viewers may not have. Eric just told me in the chat, she's been on Jimmy Doe, um, Jimmy show before a while back. Well, the chat was acting like, oh, they've never fucking heard this shit before. Like the chat, most of the chat was losing their fucking minds. People were defending her. They was like, y'all triggered over something because she's basically talk, talking about stuff that basically help you guys. And y'all are losing your minds. Maybe those are like, maybe those are newer viewers that came after uh, her, her her um other nah, viewers. They they could be old ones too, because even the older ones are they're, they're fucked up. Like sometimes I was like, Jimmy can try to co- try to convince them, but they're still be in their bubble. Um, there's a lot of I try not to when I watch Jimmy, I try not to read the chat because there's a lot yeah. of trolls up in that mofo man. There's a lot yeah. of trolls. Yeah, that, that Jimmy Dore YouTube chat, I mean, it's a circus. I mean, it is crazy. <laughs> it goes, there's, there's a million posts. There's no one moderating it. I, I just stay out of that. If I want to mess around in a chat with Jimmy, I'll, I'll go into the Rockfin chat and mess around with a couple dozen people there, maybe. Yeah, because uh, sometimes when he talks about, Jimmy is against cops. And sometimes when he does these cop videos, there, there are some videos that get the low numbers. These are the videos they do not want to watch. The 100K ones, they're the ones talking shit about, talking about the Democrats, the police, um, like Democrats, Russia, that kind of stuff, Medicare. But when you touch the police, you, you get low numbers from that video, from those videos. Like, uh, <laughs> the only time you saw the chat was in unison is when the Uvalde thing happened, where there was mm. nobody, yeah, nobody was defending the police. And the reason why they do is because the, that kids died. But I'm like, wait a minute. You let kids die, but when the police kill a person, y'all say, "Nah, man, like uh, we need cops. We need cops, man. We can't just go shit on cops. Like that's like, that's fucked up." <laughs> and when Jimmy says, "Yo, cops are bad," then he starts trashing him. He's like, "No, man, Jimmy, you, you lost your fucking mind. Uh, Jimmy Dore has gone full liberal." I'm like, "This is what this is what Jimmy Dore was. <laughs> it's not like Jimmy Dore basically says a couple of buzzwords and you come up to me. So, somehow Jimmy Dore's gonna change who he is." Sometimes people will tune in for, let, let me explain this to, um, to people. Sometimes there may be one topic that somehow reaches a viewer that may not be a socialist or a lefty or whatever. And they tune in because of that topic. And then they hear the other topics and then are like, oh, wait a minute. Well, what is the, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, some, some, no, I, I've talked to some Republicans that are, you can talk with them, but then there are some, they're just too far gone. And they repeat the, they repeat the, they repeat the bullshit in the comments. I'm like, yo, I, I, I want to talk with this. I want to talk to these people. But you know, yeah, I don't read, but that's why I don't look at, when I watch Jimmy's live stream, I don't look at the chat. It, it goes too fast, number one. So I can't even read what's being said. 
Oh, it gets worse when the chat's over and then they clip the video. And then you have, like, a bunch of motherfuckers coming in. <laughs> and you can get a couple of good ones, but then it's all fucking bad. Uh, for the Nina Turner video, uh, I didn't watch it. I think I saw a clip of CNN. Uh, mm -hmm. That was one CJ was doing that with CJ. I saw that one. I was like, Nina Turner was saying a different thing about the Ukraine shit when she was saying that uh, Joe Biden's doing a great thing for Ukraine. Uh, God bless. Well, she didn't say God bless, but she said something almost like she wanted to say God bless Joe Biden. And I'm and I'm and I'm looking at her. I'm like, wait a minute. You said Joe Biden was a half full of shit. Did you eat the other half? <laughs> To be, to be, you know what? To, to be honest with you, I stopped watching uh, Jimmy Dore as much as I used to. Um, not because of anything he did. Well, actually, it was something that he did. He came on Sabrina and Kit's timeline, and I was just like, "No, that's a no-no." But -no. Well, that was a, well, that was always his timeline. Six o six. <laughs> No, 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 it was not always his timeline. He had like a, a sometimes he'd have an earlier timeline or a later timeline. And well, I was like, there's other people who are live when I'm live too. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. Nobody yeah. owns a timeline, a time spot. <laughs> oh, that, 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 that used to be a complaint, though. Well, Jimmy Dore's a big dog. I mean, you got a million subs and you bring the numbers that he brings in. Other live streamers got to get out of the way. <laughs> That's basically what Savvy did. Went to like yeah. Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays. You, you just stay out of the big dog's way. It ain't worth it. <laughs> Wait, what's the deal with the with the schedules though? You used to stream every day. Nah, not every day, bud. I never streamed really every day. back in the day. It seems like back in the day you used to stream from Monday to Friday. No, 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 no. I used to do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then I did, I still did Thursday on RBN and Friday on RBN. That's when we used to do, we used to have RBN live. We used to call Roundtable. That used to be on Thursdays. I'm not, not, I'm not, not talking about RBN. I'm talking about your no? show. No, I never streamed every day on my show. Okay. I used to do okay. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. You probably saw clips, um, but I used okay. to do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And then okay. I switched to Mondays. Mondays were really tough. Really tough. You have an echo, um, Roger. I was talking to Eric about this a while back that I was going to move away from Mondays because that's a really busy day for me regardless. And then, um, so I said, I'm move away from that. And then I did one live stream on a Sunday and I was surprised that many people tuned in. And I was like, wait, all these people are here on a Sunday? And I was like, maybe this is a good spot for me like on a Sunday. So I moved, I switched my Monday with that Sunday. And then yeah. um, I moved from Wednesdays to Thursday. So basically, I ended up doing Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Okay. Okay. Wednesdays yeah, were also tough because a lot of times when I would invite people on, see, that was another thing. A lot of people aren't available on Wednesday nights or Wednesday at all for some reason. I don't know what that is, but I think other people have, I think they also have shows on Wednesdays. So that was another thing. It was hard. Like Wednesdays was tough, but go ahead. Yeah. So, um, is RBN going to still do those panels or they, have they stopped doing it? Because you told me, you told, you told everyone that, uh, because of certain people that come on your show, 
they don't want to be on the panel with them. Have they? Have you guys stopped that completely? So I still want to do the student debt panel um, on my show. Um, I just I gotta reach back out and see if people are cool with each other. So okay. we'll see how that. Yeah. Uh, plus, uh, there was the. Uh, it was the, about the Ukraine thing when she was saying that Joe Biden was doing God's work or some shit about Ukraine. I thought like maybe you're eating the other half of the shit because she probably wants to run again. I think she's gonna run again against Chantel Brown. I don't know when's the next election. She's gonna fail again. I don't. It's gonna be a threat. I don't, I don't think she's gonna run against um, Chantel Brown again unless something um, cripples Chantel because. Here, the Democratic machine and the 11th district that runs through all of Cleveland and picks up parts of Akron is the core of the Democratic stronghold in this otherwise Republican state. And that Democrat machine is squarely behind Chantel Brown because of not only the money, but it's the machine. And when Nina Turner would not jump behind Hillary Clinton when she first got affiliated with Bernie Sanders, she crossed some lines in the Democratic machine here. Wait a minute, she was, I, I just, I'm sorry to interrupt, but wasn't Nina Turner a Clinton surrogate? Yeah, no, she, she was originally. But okay. then when Bernie Sanders came along and they were trying to get her to endorse, she was saying, hold on, you know, I have free choice and I don't, you know, you just don't tell me who to get behind. And she kind of ran afoul of the Democratic machine here. And I don't think they ever um, got past that because their allegiance is so much to the Democratic Party. And the black churches here are a big part of the problem. The identity politics of it all is just so stringent. And, you know, like I say, um, in my situation, I am, you know, I'm a woman of trans experience. I've been a victim of a clear and easily discernible fraud, but I cannot get these Democrats here to deal with the issue because of the internal workings of the machine. And it becomes who you know, who you affiliated with, and the whole thing about a democratic process or justice and this and that, it just flies out the window. And to that extent, it functions like a political machine. And so, but what I think is when Nina Turner stepped outside of that or ran afoul of that, so to speak, she found a national um, footing. And when she's saying, oh, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due, you know, Biden is helping the Ukraines and we would want that because <laughs> if something happened and they, somebody attacked us, we would want them to support us. He, he, he. Um, she's trying to maintain her footing in the democratic orbit on that national level because she doesn't want to be completely alienated. And, you know, so she's maintaining her presence in that orbit. So she has to say things that somehow concede to the national position, even if she maintains a type of stance against the, um, you know, the leader of the party. She still has to be in alignment with some of the Democratic Party initiatives. And that's the same thing Marianne Williamson is doing, even though I think hers is more heartfelt 
but she knows if she comes out against the Ukraine war and this and that, she'll be so outside of the beltway within the Democrat party, period. There'll be no chance for her. You know, it's like a litmus test that you have to pass before they even consider you in some of those circles. And, you you know, know like we say, the real thing about Ukraine war and all these other wars is to create a pathway for resources for the capitalist beast to come in and subsume everything that's moving. But go ahead. I was just going to say real quick, Noel, but you know what? If she did come out and speak out against like the money, all the money that's going to Ukraine, she would actually gain support from more independent voters and she could actually probably pull some people from the right who are fed up with Donald Trump that are against this war and against the money going to Ukraine. But here's the thing you in that you I have no doubt that that would be an outcome. But if you can't channel it within the AMB party selection and you are not prepared to just go Green Party and push that narrative for all it's worth you've alienated the machine and so that's that's the way it works it's like okay you can say these things that'll be you know really popular across both bases but you won't have a channel to run in because we're not going to let you run as a democrat and you're not going to have any legitimacy in the republican circles so you have to tread lightly to try and get in there. Even when she ran the last cycle, they marginalized her and they almost, you know, made a mockery of her. So again, Mm -hmm. if she is successful in getting in there this time, it will be to replace Bernie Sanders as the shepherd. And if, you know, she is not perceived as the good shepherd or if um, Biden decides for whatever reason he's not going to run, then Bernie Sanders may step back up to demonstrate that he's the good shepherd again. And maybe this time he'll cut the deals, you know, to pledge the allegiance to whatever they're going on. But they're Mm -hmm. not going to let someone be the standard bearer for that party who is not in lockstep with the major initiatives that feed the corporate beast. And that's just the way that runs on both sides, you know. And the Democrats, as opposed to the Republicans, have the superdelegates that's a built-in buffer to make sure that if someone slips through and gets it, they have a way of nullifying the vote of the primaries. So it really is fixed. It really is. But what I wanted to say, what I wanted to digress quickly about the um, Jimmy Dore show and the Joe Rogan show to to that point is that to the degree that those two forums Hold on. and for Hold and on formats, well. huh? Hold on who who is is somebody heavy breathing on the back end? Sure, is that you? No. Okay, I don't hear it anymore. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, <laughs> that that was kind of spooky, but um. <laughs> If, you know, when you consider Joe Rogan and Jimmy Dore, who have these large formats um, and platforms, to the degree that they speak to populist issues, they're going to get a cross-section of the broad American base, if you know what I mean. But when you start speaking to the issues that are a particular polarity around race, 
that's when the numbers drop off and nothing is a, a racial polarity in this country like the police. Because in black America, we broadly perceive the police as a tool of white supremacy because that's what it has been for us since police have been around. But for white people, it means security. And so when you try and you know, build those cross-sectional understandings around class, if you ever get to any of the issues that speak specifically to race, that's when the divide comes back in. And so, you know, that's why some of the things that Shama would say that would speak to a broader um, normalization or democratization of a process, they resist that because what they're seeking is to to restore the normal that they believe exists for them, in which case it restores their privilege. That's why Donald Trump could say very populist things that would resonate with them, but it didn't resonate at the same level with black people because he would turn around and say definitive things that alienated black people like, oh, there were good people on both sides at Charleston and craziness like this and oh punch them in the face and I'll pay the legal bill. <laughs> Those things play well to a race leaning white base. And that is why there's about a 30 to 40% of that Republican party that clings to him no matter what, because he yep. is speaking directly to them. And you know, they see it, they hear it and they believe that if he is empowered, he is going to restore them to make America great again. What does that mean to people when they th reflect on the 50s, that Blacks were in their place? And it's sad that you have to do this type of racial analysis, but if you don't, you'll never really understand why that broad class-based coalition doesn't happen. Yeah, I think that um, I believe in working with people. First of all, I forgot about the whole punch him in the face thing. No, you remember about that. But um, I believe the whole, I, I'm really a, a strong supporter of people um, working with their strengths. So like, I feel like if you're not strong in the hard, area of sad. race. Girl, I don't know who that is. I it's keep hearing like, deep throat in there yeah. somewhere breathing <laughs> hard. Is Darth Vader on the mic? Like, I'm like, what is happening? You know what? I think that might be my, like, my car. Hold on. Let me turn the uh, heater off. What about now? It's gone. Okay. I think that it's might all, have been it's a, Rogers owns the corporate. <laughs> I was like, what is happening? Um, but I think you're right in the sense that, especially I think that people who... There are some people who are really great at talking about, like, discussing race, and there are people that are great about discussing class, and there's some people that are great about discussing both. And I feel like if you're not great about discussing race or you don't know how to discuss it, probably best to let the people who are really great at discussing that to take that lane. And in the meanwhile, like, you can learn, like, more about it. But I, I'm really, like, I'm really a proponent of people utilizing their strengths and focusing on areas where they're strong and not areas where they're weak. But uh, go ahead, uh, Ashura. Yeah. Um, and then she, 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 uh, she had that appearance on CNN. It was like two different Nina's 
One Nina was pro Joe Biden. <laughs> I'll, eat, I'll eat the other half a bowl of chips, sir. And then there's Nina Turner trying to uh, uh, do manufacturing manufacturing consent to say that Marianne Williamson is going to be the candidate, even though Joe Biden is going to run. So Marianne is just setting herself for a disaster because these Democrats don't forget. Mm-mm. Because you're 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 gonna have uh, the mainstream media, even MSNBC already did it. They're already smearing her. Say, hey, don't even acknowledge she exists. Just ignore her. Remember, uh, what was it? Yeah. Uh, Shah- Shahid Buttar. Shahid Buttar. He yep. couldn't get to the de- uh, to the debate stage because Nancy Pelosi fucking ignored him, and well, she just she cruised. Hasn't, she hasn't debated since the eighties, so she doesn't well, yeah. even have to debate. But the other thing is too is that. They already said on mainstream media, don't give Marianne Williamson attention. They already said that. And we already knew this shit was coming. That's what I said. They did this. Like, honestly, they tried to do like this blackout with Bernie Sanders, but it didn't work because he has so much fucking support. So imagine Marianne Williamson trying to fight back against that same media blackout, but not having the same amount of support. Yeah, because Marianne is boring as fuck. I, I mean, I <laughs> really, the first time I... I really S- think Sabrina. the part of the equation is Joe Biden is 80 years old. When you see him trying to, to trot around and look chipper, he looks like somebody who's finna teeter-totter and fall over and bump his head. I think the Democrat Party is seriously... And the polls keep saying, oh, we wish somebody else would run. I think... But in in the sense that Kamala Harris is such a weak candidate, they're really at odds about which way to go. And they they float Pete Buttigieg because he checks off all the diversity and inclusion boxes. But now he's been crippled because he's been such an ineffective um, manager of the transportation department. So they're really kind of struggling, but they've made their mind that if nothing shakes out, they're going to run Joe Biden. And so that's it. And if Joe Biden, something happens to him and he really just physically can't get the job done, then they're prepared to crank up Bernie Sanders because they're not going to let a Marianne Williams occupy the space. They have to have somebody reliable that they can control. And, you know, that's why I think we're starting to see Rokana, you know, take more prominent stances in international affairs and stuff. And, you know, (laughs) they're looking at Governor Newsom out in California because they're going to have to shape somebody who meets checks enough of the boxes with the corporate funders. And, you know, they would deal with Kamala, but Kamala is so doggone bad a candidate with the people. So it's like, you know, and Savage, did you ever get to the poll? The poll you had on the... um, Which one? Tonight. Do you think the United States is attempting to provoke some type of interaction with China? Oh, yeah. Like 93% of people said yes. And see, I was one of the ones who said no. Because, yeah, you know what? (laughs) But when you think about it, the United States is in a proxy war with Russia. I think all it, and they're fretting over Taiwan, but they don't want none of China. 
They do not want any of China because, first of all, China is so huge. China is such a critical part of this U.S. economy. So I think they're saber rattling because they're praying that China does not get in a closer alignment with Russia because they could not take on the two at once. So they really don't want, but I think there is, it's like almost a near panic. It's like, now we just got to play these cards out and we got to, you know, do what we can because they do not want to see that happen. And the reality is the U.S. is still trying to enforce a unipolar reality on what is a multipolar reality. You just cannot do it. You cannot order the world. And at this point, China is big enough, you know, and we know least about their military capability. And this whole thing that you're trying to cook over, over Taiwan is to pray that nothing jumps off. But I think, you know, we're in a really bad place. And to Chris Hedges' point, I think this is what empires in collapse do. They move to this, you know, all this aggression and military exploits, and then they just collapse because they're not who they think they are. When you are sinking in quicksand, you will grab onto a snake to pull you up. Or at least try. Because I, I was gonna, I was gonna suggest if Bernie Sanders is not an option, if if uh, what's her name, Marianne's not an option, are you gonna, are they gonna choose Medusa? You know who Medusa is, Sabby, the snake. Oh shit, Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You're funny. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, they are already actually pushing Kamala. I don't know if people know this, but. Kamala has already planned trips to South Carolina. So just FYI, like they, and this is another thing. If Kamala does end up running instead of Joe Biden and Marianne is still running, you know what they're going to try to use then? They're going to try to say, why would you vote for the white woman when you can vote for the Indian slash black woman? That's what they're going to use. Mark my words. Mark my words if she runs. Well, 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 of course they're going to use that. Plus, yeah, it, it, she was not supposed to be VP. It was, it was going to be Amy Klobuchar. And if George Floyd hadn't happened, and they didn't look it up, that it was Amy Klobuchar that let that cop run free, and basically he crossed paths with uh, uh, George Floyd, and he killed him. That's why they, they bumped her off uh, against the, the VP list, and we got Kamala. You got. Kamala. I, heard, I heard it was set to be Kamala Harris, though. That's what I heard. No. Nah. Oh, well, I was watching like basically second talk. They said it was behind the scenes. It was going to be, uh, it was going to be uh, Klobuchar, but after the George Floyd thing, there was too much damage behind it. And she she let him off. She's uh, terrible. They, they, yeah, well, she let him off, and then they said, "Oh fuck it, we we gotta we gotta have to do the black woman because with the protest with George Floyd, we gotta use the black card." To basically, and then you ended up with Kamala Harris. Well, no, he was, know, at, this... he was looking at Susan Rice, too, actually, for people who don't know. And Susan at this Rice, point, but she wasn't even she wasn't even in the race, a Republican. No, right? it, it. Yeah, but he was oh, looking. That's called that's called Rice. Yeah, he was looking at Susan Rice, too. 
And also Stacey Abrams' name was uh, floated around. And Stacey Abrams came on The View and said, I'm nobody's second pick. Now you're nobody's pick because you ran twice and you lost twice. Yeah, and see, here's the thing. Stacey Abrams is too strong of a personality to put into a VP candidacy because just like, you know, they always pick somebody who's weaker. Trump picked Pence, you know, Obama picked Biden, Biden picked Kamala. They're always picking, picking somebody who's weaker. And Stacey Abrams is just for all her flaws. She is a stronger communicator and a more robust politician than Joe Biden. And so it's like, ooh, we will want to. But at this point, the black vote coming in at 80 and 90 percent for the Democrats is critical to Democrats if they're going to get these national offices. So they they're trying to replace the black vote with the Hispanic vote, but they haven't caught quite got there yet because the Hispanic vote splits between Republican and Democrat yep. because some, you know, Hispanics can live as white and they jump right in with the Republican Party because it's more prodigious for them, you know. So, but we understand that the Democratic motive and their um, MO is to replace the black vote with the Hispanic vote. They just can't do it just yet. And that's why when Joe Biden was having that impromptu summit with the black leaders he said listen in a minute y'all gonna have to deal with the hispanics and so so they're telling you that you know they give you bits and crumbs about what their objective and agenda is I tried to, and so I tried to but for now i tried to i don't think about that exactly i don't think at this point they feel they can do without kamala without putting somebody else in there because they can't afford to lose double digits in the black vote. And if the black people who play the black identity politics game feels like they have been slighted in that major of a way, then they risk the black vote, you know, tampering down too much and they can't replace it at this point readily with a Hispanic vote. So they're, they're, it's a tightrope. And they definitely don't want to run her, though, nope. because they know she's weak as a candidate. No, so they're going to pop up Joe Biden and push him through or whatever. Well, speaking of Pence, I find it funny that he's finally put up his big boy pants and he's calling out Donald Trump. Apparently, he wants to he wants to go against Donald Trump now. Donald Trump doesn't want him anymore because he didn't want to. Uh, no. He didn't want to. Uh, don't nobody want Pence. <laughs> He did not put on his big boy pants, Asura, because he didn't, it, uh, Trump's name didn't come out of his mouth. Okay? No one has actually said, like, disparaged Trump. Well, he didn't, say, he didn't say by name, but he was basically alluding that it's Donald Trump, but he can't say his name. And plus, who knows? Maybe his, maybe his wife will give him some courage, because that guy can't even talk, talk to a woman without his wife next to him. Or sit so maybe, down. So maybe... So maybe it's should run then. Well, I'm just going to say this. What Noel said is incredibly true. And this is what I've been trying to warn people about. And that's why I said, eventually, look at the population. Black people, we are only 13% of the population. Latinos outnumber black people in this country. Now, the problem with the Democratic Party is they make the assumption that all Latinos are going to vote Democrat. That's not true. Especially if you talk to... 
friends of mine that live in Florida. None of those guys. They'll tell you. I couldn't. I couldn't make a right. No, like oh. some of most of my friends that live in Florida, they'll tell you most of the Latino, the Cubans, uh, Cubans that live in Florida, they're Republican. Yeah, they're Republican. So, them. so the Democratic Party made the mistake of assuming that Latinos are all uh, Democrats, and that's not true. And the other thing is too is that African-Americans have been leaving the Democratic Party. Now this started with, the numbers started to go down during Obama's second term. And a lot of people don't realize that, but I pulled up the numbers one time before my show. That's when the numbers started to go down. And particularly black men have been leaving the Democratic Party. And so the thing is, is that eventually it's gonna get to the point where they're not gonna need the African-American vote to win anymore. And then they're really not going to, they ain't doing nothing for us now, but then they're really not going to do anything for us. And that's why I keep telling black people, stop fucking voting for them. They're not going to do anything for you. The the moment they get enough uh, votes in the population to not need the black vote, they're going to ignore you just as clear as that. So you might as well start voting for third party and independent candidates if you're going to vote. So not only that, but a lot of them, are not trying to, uh, what's that word? Um, coalesce and form a united front with us. A lot of times they, they come here and they're like, they don't want nothing to do with us. A lot of them, are, I'll say straight out races against us as well. Okay. Um, I've, I've been seeing that over there at uh, 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 like what, what happened in California with the city council. Sure, I think that's you breathing like that. That's really Yashura said that's not that's not him. Cause I hear it too. I don't know. Okay. But anyway. <laughs> uh, Deep throat is on the line. I'm telling you, so, who is breathing? I feel like I'm in a hard <laughs> movie and I hear but 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 also um to piggyback on, um, you know, to, to, to piggyback on, on, on that, though. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yes. So, Noel, that is why we need to beat them to the punch and eliminate all parties. And that's beating them to the punch. So, if national parties, like I said before, national parties cannot exist without state parties. You could run a ballot initiative amendment in 17 states. And this is why I say we need to get to at least, we need like 17 to 23 more states, right? That would allow their voters to place initiatives on the ballot to ratify their own amendments into their state constitution. And you can run an initiative amendment that's, that deems political, the existence of political parties in the state of fill in a blank is deemed unconstitutional. Okay, and you watch the national parties collapse upon themselves. Okay, we don't need parties to govern. You know, they just made us think that we need them. Um, that's parties just exist for 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 their own interests, not for our interests, because from their very inception, they are designed to look out for themselves first, even when it comes from a benevolent sort of mindset where they might really want to help you, but they have to say, well, we got to get ourselves together first before we can help you. 
So that right there is saying you're putting your interests before mine. Get rid of the parties, make them unconstitutional in the state constitutions, and then you watch the national parties collapse. And then you'll end up freeing, you'll end up freeing up the politician that doesn't have to be bound, bowl and chain to, to check off all the, uh, the checkmark boxes. You know what I mean? And this, this is the reason why you see this. And then you, what will happen is when politicians run, right, and they'll be non-party affiliated, independent, whatever the case is, you will see the real person because then you, you know what you'll find out? You'll find out that you're not going to agree with everything. You see what I'm saying? Like when you run like a politician who's who's like uh, in a party, all right, they check all the boxes pretty much. But with independent uh, uh, politicians, you'll be like, oh, I agree with them on that. Oh, I don't agree with them on that. That's horrible. Oh, I agree with them on that. Then what happens is now you have to prioritize what's most important to you. You feel what I'm saying? So you got like... Um, uh, you know, like Larry Sharp, he said he's against the New York Health Act. He doesn't believe in it. I, but he's for worker co-ops, public banks, and he wants to make the state of New York a citizen ballot initiative state. So now I have to prioritize what's more important to me. You see That's what I'm right. saying? And I go, fuck it, the citizen ballot initiative state, you want to, fine, you don't want to pass the New York Health Act, but you want to give me the power to do it? All right, I'll take that deal. You know what I mean? Just like when Diane Sayre came on your show, and she was just like, oh, you, you were like, oh, my God, you're, 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 you're against abortion. But then you were like, oh, but I agree with you on this. You see what I'm saying? So you as a vote, even though you don't live in New York State, but let's say if you did, you would have to prioritize what issues are most important to you. You know what I'm saying? Your top four, your top five most important issues. You see what I'm saying? And it causes the electorate to think. No, you know what I mean? Right. You're right, Roger. I want to make sure I bring in Ashura. Will you finish? I want to make sure I bring in Cryo. I want to yeah, get I'll make sure I bring you, in. Uh, I'll just ask you one question. Uh, what's the? Do you know what the reference is for Mariana Anna? Because I, I know um, Notori likes to say that. Is it like a Cabbage Patch Pitch Cabbage Patch Kids thing? I don't know where that came from. Um, that tonight was the first time I heard that. So maybe that's like Notori's nickname. <laughs> she has called her that multiple times. I don't know where that came from. Ask in the chat. Well, that is if she's still there. She's still she's still here. Ask ask in the chat where that come from. All right. Okay, let's bring in Cryosynth. You are the next caller. Just have to unmute. You're on the call. Hey, the heavy breathing stopped, guys. <laughs> it disappeared after Ashura left. Ashura, <laughs> take your Ashura, take your uh, your, your you know those you know for your. I don't know what that was. I was like, "What is happening? Is this like a Jason movie?" Just gotta um, just gotta unmute Cryo. I don't know if it's um, letting you do it. Sometimes the app can be finicky. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was pretty interesting. There. Speaking of movies, oh my god, I watched a movie on Netflix the other night. Don't watch it. You'll be pissed off at the end. It's called The Strays. 
Oh my God. Like, so it's the number two movie on Netflix. And I was like, Oh, everyone's saying this is the, the most recommended movie to watch. So I watched the movie and I was like, you know, feeling it. My husband kind of thought it was like boring, but I was feeling it. And then I was like, Oh, Oh, we're getting to the end. This is when something is actually going to happen this time. And then I got to the end of the movie and I'm like, that's it. So climatic cryo. I don't know what happened. I'm going to invite you to speak and I'm going to bring in, uh, Brady, Brady, you're on the mic. Just got to unmute the strays. That's the movie. What's up, Brady? Brady? What's up, Queen Sabrina? You know how you kind of struggle with this issue of asking for help? Well, I am unashamedly, uh, humbly asking for your help in promoting the proxy party, which is a legitimate third party to the left of libertarians. And I'm about to go to an open mic after this, and I'm going to hijack the open mic, and I'm going to turn it into an anti-war party. I'm going to... some local anti-war parties that I'm throwing myself here in Texas and uh, Rage Against the War Machine rally in D.C., obviously. But I can say that the music is observably going to be better. And uh, uh, I can give you like a one-minute sample if you want to hear what the music's going to sound like. Me, it's this Queen Bree. uh, Queen Bree music official. Okay. Actually, so I'll put it up right now. We'll we'll take take a listen to what my uh, anti-war rally is going to sound like. It's pretty impressive. I'm pretty impressed. So it won't take long. Let me just pull this up. And I'm going to drop a link to her Instagram in the chat so y'all can check her out too. And let me go to my Instagram folder real quick and pull her up. She's right here. This is it. Oh, boy. think well she she sounds she's great um i think the music's observably better than the other one it's a little too conservative a little too honky-tonky for me at the other anti-war rally so the texas that, music edition is going to be a that's lot the spicier. music for the anti-war rally the music for my anti-war party here in texas which is a rage against the war party which is just kind of an adjacent um, anti-war party, like anti-war rally that I'm throwing myself because I didn't like everything they did in the Rage Against the War Machine rally. So instead of just complaining from the sidelines, I'm hosting my own. And I'm trying to show people how easy it is to host their own as well. And we could certainly use your help if you want to show up, talk to us, or if you even better, 
I'm looking for 10 conservative pro-war people to uh, debate during this pro-war party. And um, I'm having a hard time finding them, believe it or not. I, I have a tendency to scare uh, conservatives away from debate before it ever starts. So I could use some help wrangling some conservative debate me bros. And I hope to make an example of them and even get them to join us during these anti-war parties. And maybe even long term, we'll find some Nazis to get their uh, tattoos removed live by lasers at one of these parties. That, that's, that's the ultimate in goal. That's a major achievement that's on the table. Oh, but, man. Uh, um, okay. Well, a lot. I, I just, I, can I add just a little suggestion really quick? And then I'll go to you, Roger. I think if uh, if this is like an anti-war like rally, you might want something a little bit more upbeat, maybe. Well, it's hard writing upbeat music. I'm not going to lie to you. As a musician, it's writing upbeat, happy, danceable music is not easy. Um, so I do have some more upbeat musicians. I mean, I could play <laughs> some more upbeat music. Much yeah. uh, more happier music on the, on the bill as well. But she's just so – and she's so down for the movement that, uh, you know – She's included. <laughs> All right, Roger. Oh, I'm getting that echo. Um, or maybe that was Brady. Um, Sabrina, invite, what is that, TLC Richardson. He said something is going on in Florida. T T TLC, uh, this is Bob Barker. Come on down. What, what's this thing you're talking about I saw in the chat? I thought you meant TLC the group. I was about to be like, yeah, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's little small letters. I think it says TLC Richardson. There's something about uh, something about something going on in Florida. TLC, come on up. Come on down. You're the next contestant. Don't go chasing waterfalls. You got TLC in my head now. Yeah, but I believe he just, he just jumped in the queue. Oh, there we go. Oh, um, he did. Okay, I'll get this. to him. Okay. Get yeah, the idea of my third party and my anti-war rallies, and I'm also writing a peace proposal from the American people to the world. And oh, I think you're breaking. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but I kind of have to hold it down, like one versus twenty. Um, we could certainly use some help. Like, if anyone wants to actually criticize the proxy party platform. Um, it could use some editing. There's some things that could certainly be changed. It's not perfect. It's uh, in a constant editing process being refined. But we're also looking for candidates. If anyone's interested in running for anything, um, we can get people uh, actively started as write-in candidates and um, at least start getting some legitimate candidates on the bill against the libertarians. Because I don't know if y'all have noticed, but the libertarians are observably a little bit racist and sexist. So the proxy party aims to be a racier and sexier version of the libertarians. And we hope to absorb the libertarians and the Green Party and all independents under one party platform. And even if we don't win any seats, we could use the, the party as a network for mutual aid projects so that we can um, support, you know, uh, general strikes and unions uh, all throughout the year, whether we win any seats or not. But a lot of really good ideas in the platform itself. We could use more ideas if anyone has any ideas that, to add that aren't on the list yet. I know that there's probably about 10,000 good ideas just out there waiting 
to be uh, added to the list. So um, we could use all the help we could get humbly. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Brady. And I'm going to move on to Kirby. We're going to bring you in. What about your friends? Are they going to be low down? Will they ever be around? What's up, Kirby? You just got to unmute. Or will they turn the backs on you? We did TLC when I was in like middle school. This is like a long time ago. We did TLC when I was in middle school for a talent show, you guys. Like me and my friends, we sang TLC. We still keep in touch today. Kirby, you have to unmute. Are you Kirby from the video game? I usually play, I don't know if you guys ever played um, Smash Bros, but I usually pick Kirby. I'll pick Kirby or Jigglypuff. What about your friends? Oh, Kirby, I think you're stuck in a glitch. I can invite you to speak, and I'm going to move on to Gary. Gary, you are the next caller. Just got to unmute. Hello. Oh. Hey, Sabby. Hey, hey God how bless. are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Can I complain? Um, so I just wanted to comment, obviously, on the, the Nina Turner uh, comments. I think the thoughts were helpful for the Democratic Party, but I also think it indicates uh, part of the reason why, you know, I agree so much with what you're talking about regarding um, people who consider themselves liberal or in support of an anti-racist agenda to sort of move away from the Democratic Party, I feel like that could be that's the best thing for them because it applies the proper leverage um, politically. But also, the Democratic Party is probably the more anti-labor party um, if, you, if you look at the two parties. And so it's not even just to apply the political leverage to force them to come to your, your side. I feel like Republicans are actually more on the side of, of labor than the Democratic Party anyway. Um, I feel like you could complain about maybe the fact that the Republicans maybe have a little bit too much of a pro-corporate, corporatist agenda um, ideologically. But I think Democrats, generally speaking, hate working class people. So when you look at you know, an ideological agenda versus just what uh, appears to me to just be disdain for working class individuals. Um, and I think the basket of deplorables um, ethos is is really what defines you know democratic politics today. I honestly feel like if you are on the side of the working class, um, even if you don't think the Republicans are you know the working class party, the Democrats definitely are the least of the pro working class party, and I think that's the most important thing. And I think that's kind of it was important you know like I said for Nina Turner to sort of save face on behalf of the Democrats by, by having the rant she had. But I think it's, it's, it's just uh, illuminating the fact that you have to scold them for revealing their true self. It's like they genuinely despise working class people. And there's nothing, you know, politically, there's no real way to sort of trump that. You know? if, if you have a party that's pretty much run by people who hate labor and are hostile to working class, you know, what are you, how, how can working class people go to them for help? I think that's a really good argument to steer people away from 
the Democratic Party in general, because like based on what we've seen over the past couple of years, the Democratic Party has been anti-labor, right? Now, the most anti-labor. I, yeah, Lynn, now I don't actually believe that the Republican Party is pro-labor. I think that they're using that to their advantage right now because the Democratic Party has been screwing over workers. And I think that we see this back and forth game. Democrats will do it, Republicans will do it like back and forth, back and forth to whatever issue works towards their advantage at that point in time. And I think that that being said though, the Democratic Party was once that. They, at one point they, they did support the workers and, and they just don't anymore. And I think, I think we're kidding ourselves if we think that they're going to get back around to that. Now, my question for you is, do you think it's a waste of time? Do you think it's a waste of time for someone to primary challenge Joe Biden uh, after what has happened with Bernie Sanders? Uh, I do I think it's a waste of time? That's that's a difficult thing. I, I don't think they have much of a chance. Uh, but politically, if you want to get involved in it, like, for example, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, like, is my, my personal political hero, right? You know, someone I know you got beef with, and I want to address that as well. But um, she didn't really have a chance to win, win the presidency, but I fully supported her going for it. Why not? I say, if you want to get involved, you want to put yourself out there, you want to, you know, at least put yourself in front of the people. And, um, and talk to them and try to and go out and, and most importantly listen to what people are saying around the country, which I think is the biggest part of uh, of the campaigning process is actually getting out of your comfort zone. And that's why it's funny that like people who don't really get out of their comfort zone, like Joe Biden and Hillary Clinton, are usually ones that the Democrats push to the foreground. But you know the people like Tulsi Gabbard and people like Andrew Yang who are kind of running around the country pressing, you know, pressing flesh and, and pounding the pavement. That's one of, one, of, one of the most useful things about the campaigning, that they get to actually see, talk to people and humanize people from all different sides of the, of the aisle. So I say, hey, if you want to get involved, get involved and, 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 and humanize individuals and bring their stories to, to some, you know, different media outlets. I think that's a good thing. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to amount to anything politically. I think the Democratic Party doesn't really have many strong candidates and the vast majority of of the sheep within the Democratic Party are just going to vote for Joe Biden. Joe Biden could literally spend the entire campaign asleep in a basement somewhere, and they'll still vote for him. So there's not really much you could do about a party that's like that. But um, you know what speaks to the sentiment that the gentleman said tonight? Actually, he said it a couple of days ago, but I showed it earlier tonight. The gentleman said, the progressives are obviously heavily against like Joe Biden running again in 2024 and by progressives, I don't mean the ones in, in DC. I mean, just the people like the voters, but he went on to say that it doesn't matter because in the end, once Joe Biden is the nominee, they'll support him anyway. They'll go right back to the, and that really like strung a chord with me. And I said to people, I was like, look, this is a problem. And honestly, I couldn't like, I couldn't disagree with what he said because based over the past couple of years of this experiment, that is exactly what has happened. So I couldn't disagree with him. And the thing is, is like, if that is what is going to happen and you're not going to stand firm, 
and not vote for corporate Democrats, then there's no point of any type of progressive uh, movement or any type of, which I don't think the movement is there anymore, but there's no point in having someone who supports progressive policies, primary challenging Joe Biden, if they're just going to come back and tell you to vote for Joe Biden. Now, one of the things I didn't get a chance to ask Marianne, because we, we were short on time, but one of the things I would have asked her is, if you lose, which I think you will, are you going to tell your supporters to in turn go and vote for Joe Biden? If they run within that party, I mean, they, that, that's, if they run within the gang, then they have to they support, have to they have to rep their colors. You know, that's just the way it goes. Um, they can't set trip, and they're not allowed to. There's just consequences, and you know, unless you're some unless you're some kind of wild card like um, the 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 queen the queen goddess like uh, Tulsi Gabbard. You're not you're not really gonna gonna go out there and poke the poke the bit. You know what I'm saying? No, there's not many many people who call themselves Democrats who have the cojones to really put everything on the line, throw everything out the window to stand up to the power structure. In fact, I think there's only one person like that, and that person's name is Tulsi Gabbard. Oh, did I mention that? Yeah, I think I, I think I have to put that out there. Because Tulsi Gabbard takes a lot of stuff from so-called liberals, but Tulsi Gabbard is really the only person. With any type of, you know, courage of of her conviction in the entire what well, you know when she was a Democrat, and all she gets is, I don't know, all she gets is disdain. So it's almost, I almost feel bad for her because I'm like, you got so much principle, you got so much courage. Only person on you, you, not even Bernie Sanders is willing to stand up like she stands up, and all she gets is crapped on. But so here's. Like, Here's the thing with Tulsi Gabbard, for all the principles that you believe that she has, she has been very unprincipled when she moves over to the other side. When she's appearing on Fox News and this and that, that's not the answer. That's not the way forward. And she knows it. But she's willing to do it to advance herself in her own political career. So my thing is, if you understand that A and B are both uh, mutually despicable choices, then the real person, the real principal person stands up and says, it's neither party because the answer is outside of this two party system. And so if you're not going to be co-opted on the left, but you find your way to be co-opted on the right, you're still no better than you were on the left. I think that um, Tulsi Gabbard did address that on Joe Rogan's interview. Um, that was back in October. She did mention that she is now an independent. She said she's not a part of either party, but I totally get what you're saying, Noel. And I have my criticisms of Tulsi Gabbard too. Like she's still a politician trying to play the game, just like everybody else. Um, she still supports drone strikes. Like my issues with Tulsi is on foreign policy. She still supports drone strikes. And she also supports the state of Israel. Like she's not out here like screaming, you know, for the Palestinians rights and things like that. Like she's against them too. Um, she'll be another one that'll sign on to go against China. So yeah. it's just like, yeah. I think for me, this is why I keep saying foreign policy is so incredibly important for someone who is running for office uh, for president of the United States, because that is the one area where the president can act alone and they don't necessarily need the approval of Congress or the Senate. 
So we saw that happen with Barack Obama with his drone strikes. So I think those things are, are important to, to note, but yeah, but I applaud her for leaving the democratic party because they definitely did screw her over. Yeah. I mean, even Bernie screwed over and she dropped, she pretty much like chopped her career in half on his behalf and then pretty much threw it out the window, you know, trying to, you know, help his agenda, not really, you know, sign on to the entire thing, but, you know, giving him a little boost, you know, and he just kind of distanced himself from her, which was, which is really strange for him to like, just kind of distance himself from the person who really kind of elevated him in a lot of ways. She ain't the first and she won't be the last that he's, uh, he's done that to, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everybody who tried it. And I I don't, I understand his perspective because it's like, you guys were all trying to grift off me anyway. So, you know, it's not really like I owe you anything. Okay. I get it, Bernie. But at the end of the day, there was so many people who put so much energy into his, to his political, you know, his political value. And he's kind of taken that and given it all to Joe Biden, you know? So it's like, it's like, it's it's the ultimate betrayal. But the question for me is who has put the notions and needs of the people first? You know, they're all making good moves politically for themselves, but are, is anybody putting the people first? And like I I said, who? Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is out here (laughs) thinking of putting the people first. (laughs) Ron DeSantis is putting Ron DeSantis first, baby. Yes, he is. Yeah, I mean, mean, the last they all do. Yeah, people need really need to look up Ron DeSantis' um, career as a JAG officer when he was in the military and how he treated inmates in reference to torture. People really need to look up that. I could only imagine. Yeah, he's he's terrible. I I, I can try to tell people Ron DeSantis is worse than Donald Trump. Yeah. I think the only reason Ron DeSantis looks good at all is just because the Democrats are so god awful. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. Like Ron DeSantis is outflanking Democrats on civil liberties, and he's supposedly who you say he is. Tell me, the, tell me what that means. You know what I'm saying? If he can outflank the Democrats on civil liberties, then where's that put the Democrats? Oh, so, I think the mistake is viewing the, the two parties as different. I mean, both parties are corrupt corporate warmongers. And it's just time to look elsewhere. Yeah. And then that's the thing. You're not going to get away from a, a devout Israel supporter like a Ron DeSantis or, or most Republicans. They all, you know, regardless of what their civil, civil liberties records are, most Republicans love Israel more than they love themselves. So you're yeah. not going to be able to get away from, from that. And you know, uh, you see, so it's like, it's a, even hmm? if it's not about a real pure love of Israel, it's APEC and the Democratic majority for Israel and the money they spend in these campaigns. These people are, that's what happened to Nina Turner. Let me tell you, Chantel Brown was on the county council here. She was in terms of broad understanding. People didn't even know who she was. And Nina Turner should have been a shoe-in because she had a much higher profile nationally and statewide. But baby, when the APAC and the DMFI dropped them big dollars in on Chantel and the negative advertising, people just glum into it. So for whatever Nina Turner's positions were and her connectivity to the people, it could not overwhelm 
what APAC and DMFI were able to do with that big money. And even like she said, her, you know, fellow friends in the Progressive Caucus were threatened and this, that, and a third. These people, it is about money in terms of getting reelected. And they'll mm-hmm. have you loving Jesus and Satan at the same time if you got dollars. <laughs> it drives me let crazy. Me tell you, let me tell you, though, um, the whole thing with Ron DeSantis, I think that really like pushed him over for voters was the fact that he didn't shut Florida down. So Florida's economy didn't suffer during the pandemic. Like my state of Massachusetts, like we got hit hard um, because of that decision. And a lot of businesses here closed. A lot of small businesses uh, had to close indefinitely, unfortunately. So friends of mine I talked to that live in Florida, they have said to me that they did appreciate him not shutting the state down. And I think that is one of the things that really could have brought voters out to, to reelect him again. You know, yeah, and that's the thing. I think um, the last couple of years has really changed the political uh, paradigm in this country. Now it's not necessarily about okay, what I want you to do for me and quote unquote, and my tribe. Now it's about who's not a fascist. It's, and now, and and that's the thing. Now it's like okay, the Democrats, based on what they had their behavior over the last couple of years, they they appear to be more fascistic than the Republicans. And that's a huge consideration now. Like they've changed the calculus in a lot of the voting public's eyes when it comes to who they're looking at. The standards have completely yeah. changed. I think they're both fascistic. And I think the Democrats, in their inability to move left and hear the needs of the people, they have allowed themselves to be cornered in the right, trying to play this center-right game. And then on the right side with the Republicans, they're pushing almost over the cliff. And it's just like, oh, my God. But but that's because and when I say fascist, I am speaking to allowing the corporate community to run everything. When you look at American politics and the legislation that has passed over the last several decades, the only group that has uniformly benefited from all the legislation is the elite led by the corporate community. I mean, they got rich through the pandemic, rich through the collapse of the banks in 2007-8. I mean, so nobody is, is really doing anything but lip service to the people and the Democrats are doing even less lip service to your point than they ever did. But once the legislation passes, it is always something that squarely benefits corporate America because corporate America is funding the the campaigns. And so it's really a clear path when you see it. And that's really at the heart of fascism. You're allowing that, you know, and when you think about it, the neoliberalism that has dominated the Democratic Party evolves into fascism in time because at a certain point you're going to have the invisible hand of corporate America making the decisions. So this is really an inverted totalitarianism where you don't have a dictator like Hitler making the policy unless it is in the form of a Donald Trump who is really 
trying to further his own interests. But in that, they are both going to lean onto what benefits the corporate community. And in this case, a corporate community that has a big segment of the military industrial complex. So it's just bad either which way you go. And that's unfortunate. Yeah, you have a good point, Noelle. Um, I want to go ahead and bring in Jonathan. Jonathan, you're a speaker. You just have to unmute. I want to get your take on all of this as well. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to run a primary challenger if we know the game is rigged? And according to that other clip that I showed after that tonight, it said that, or the gentleman on that panel said that in the end, the progressives are going to just go ahead and vote for Joe Biden anyway once he's the nominee. What's your take? Mm, I actually agree with you, Savvy. Something you said earlier, when um, we have a progressive challenger in the game, what they end up doing is they end up cheaper hurting us to whoever the Democrat nom, Democrat corporate nominee is. And also, I, I'm with you, too. All that money, and I gave the Bernie Sanders campaign, too. Where did all the money go? You raised over $100 million. Where did that money go? And you promote this, oh, I'm, a, I'm not a socialist, but I'm a Democrat socialist. Okay, where was that money distributed at? Where did the money go? I wish, I mean, the person that would know probably more is Brianna Joy Gray. Um, she might know a little bit more, not everything. And also, one thing I want to um, touch on, I actually, now, if, I don't think that um, Kamala is going to primary Joe Biden. I think that she already learned her lesson. She knows that her numbers are already low when she ran in 2020. It's only going to get lower from here on out because people just do not like her whatsoever. Um, did you cover when she was being interviewed? And um, I don't know if it was you. Uh, did you cover her when she was being interviewed by... Um, no, it wasn't you. Nope, it wasn't. It was Kyle Kalinske. Lord, forgive me. She was being interviewed by... What's her name? Andrea Martin. I think it was Andrew Martin. And Andrew Martin basically told her, your numbers are down. What are you going to do about it? And she said, well, I don't hear about the chatter outside of Washington, D.C., which was a lie because obviously she does. She does care about her image and her profile. And also, one thing I'm, I'm going to disagree with you, Sabby. I agree with Roger. I believe Amy Klobuchar was going to be next in line because Joe Biden made a promise that the VP was going to be a woman. He never said a black woman, or excuse me, a woman of color. He said specifically it was going to be a woman. And I also believe, and I don't know, and there's no way for me to prove, but I believe what Roger said was that Amy was a shoe-in until George Floyd happened. Because right after that happened, it was kind of weird because she didn't say anything at all. But after George Floyd, she then came out and said, I also think that the nominee should be a woman of color, which I thought was really weird because he didn't say anything previously. And um, Jonathan, just to let you know, I, I didn't say that. Someone else did. So I'm not going to take credit for someone else. Then I was probably a short. Sorry. All black men sound alike. Um, <laughs> sorry, that Nell was a short who said that. Um, also, I believe when Joe Biden was picking his candidates, when he narrowed it down to um, the women, I believe it was four, and Stacey Abrams just pushed, put herself into it. 
because she was never on the list. I don't remember that interview that that time that somebody was interviewing um, Stacey Abrams and this. And I'm not a Joe Biden fan, but at that moment, I fanned out for a minute because Joe Biden then jumps on the camera. Stacey Abrams is smiling from ear to ear. Like there's like this big announcement. The more that Joe started talking, that smile started going down. Lawrence O'Donnell. The last word with Lawrence O'Donnell show that happened. That was funny. That smile went from a smile to a frown. And it was going so slow. And it was like, Uh girl, you just got, you got, she got dissed so bad by Joe Biden. It it was just because she really won that position. She thought she got it. But yeah, and I th- I know it was Susan Rice. I believe it was who's the mayor of Los Angeles now? Um, oh, shoot, dang it. Um, what's her face? Why can't I remember her name? I can see her face, but I can't remember her name. That's bad, huh? I, I can, talked about her. Barb. I can see her. Me too. Barbara Lee. Mayor. She ran, no, not Barbara Lee. She ran against Rick Caruso. Karen. Uh, Bass? Karen. Karen, Karen, yeah, Bass. Karen Bass. That's it. Karen Bass. But I. From what I remembered, from what I heard, is that Kamala Harris was actually going to be a Supreme Court nominee. Because Joe Biden did make a promise that the Supreme Court nominee was going to be a woman of color. He did make that promise. So they thought Kamala Harris was going to take that position. So, um, but yeah, that's pretty much my thought on it. It was one more thing I forgot to mention. Oh, now... Even though one thing that the Democrats are not good at, and that's optics. And you covered um, Joe Biden going to um, Kiev and not going to East Palestine. Did you see the video of uh, Donald Trump going to East Palestine? Yep. Yep. You you can hear the people saying, thank you for not forgetting about us. Thank you. I'm like, oh, my God, this is the, the Republicans are good at optics, just like when um Cruz and I think Marco Rubio voted against the um what was it the the strikers the railroad workers he voted uh, didn't they vote against for them not to stri- no vote for them to strike no he voted they voted against the bill what bill was that again I'm sorry I don't remember which one the railroad workers correct to force them back to work get back. Yeah, union people crack the quip. Yeah, to force them back to work. Oh yeah, that's right. They didn't vote for them to go back to work. So right now, objects of the and also one more thing, last thing. Uh, I went to go see my mother last week. Um, she's not in the politics whatsoever, none whatsoever. But even she knows that Trump. That black people did better under Trump than they did under Biden. Under Biden, Trump gave us more money when it came to the pandemic. He paused student loans at the same. Time. I I'm sorry. When Jen Psaki said that getting student loans back on repayment was a top priority, I if Tef, if uh, Deftone was a person, why would you? Say, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I'm she, done speaking. Thanks, she Kevin. also told people to, if they're upset and frustrated about, you know, inflation to go, go to a kickboxing class and drink a margarita. So again, this is a class issue. She's totally out of touch 
totally out of touch. And I got to tell you, like, every time I go down to D.C., I was like, every time I go down to D.C., I'm like, wow, this it's so bougie. It's so incredibly bougie. And the D.C. I knew was not like that because, like, my family is from Baltimore. So I had been to D.C. multiple times and back in the day. And D.C. wasn't like that back then. It was known as Chocolate City. That's what they used to call it. And now it's been incredibly gentrified. And it's very bougie, like all of it. Even like South, South, was that Southwest D.C. I was in? Yeah, where the, the D.C. Wharf is now located. That used to be like an all-Black area. Now it's like all bougie and expensive and shit. And like, it's it's very different now. Like D.C. has totally changed. And no, the people, no disrespect, but when... They don't realize that. But when, um, what's his name? Max Blumenthal said he lives in Anacostia. I'm like, ooh, I wouldn't say that probably out loud. Because Anacostia used to be a predominantly black neighborhood. They went through major gentrification. Actually, early on, I saw a house, and uh, a two-bedroom condo that was selling for a million dollars in Anacostia. So it's like, I don't think you should say that out loud, but. You know, well, Lindsay yeah. was honest. I mean, Max right. does know that. I mean, he has he's talked about that before. I, I think he's from I think he is from there originally. Cause like the very first time he came on, this is a while back. Damn, this is almost like a year ago. Um, the very first time he came on, he did mention that like, you know, he was a teacher in California and then he came back this way. I think he is originally from that area. So he has talked about it before about how the area has changed and i mean it's just yeah i mean it's is is i hate to say it but most of dc looks like that now jonathan like it's, mm -hmm. it's crazy like you know we have gentrification here in boston but to be fair boston was never like 80 percent black it never was dc was no you're right about dc and i remember i was on because personally i love dc I love it. But one time I was actually on the, the train going from Springfield to the Smithsonian and I was at Rhode Island Avenue and I'm like, wait a minute, that wasn't there. That wasn't there. That wasn't there. I didn't know where I was like, wait, am I lost? I know this is Rhode Island Avenue. I know those houses were definitely not there. That was a home depot. And I said, that was a parking lot over there. That used to be, a, well, the church is still there, but even the church, um, Grand Mount Calvary, I was talking, one of my cousins actually is a deacon there, and she told me how the how the gentrification is running the people who live in that neighborhood out of their area. It's really bad. And also, Sabi, you know, PG County has one of the highest, it's the highest, um, highest population of African-American wealth. So a lot of Black people who have money live in PG County. PG used to be hood. For people who don't know, like when I was a kid, PG used to be like not a safe place. What part? Like they used to tell you don't, don't go, to, go Prince to Prince George County. They used to tell you don't go to, like the places to go to, like if you were going to reside like on the Maryland side, and I hate to say it, but it's true. Because like some people that work in DC live on the Virginia side, some live on the Maryland side. But if you were going to reside on the Maryland side, people said live in Howard County or live in uh, Anne Arundel, Anne Arundel like County, like live in those areas, live in, and, and let me explain what I mean. Like places like Chevy Chase, 
Bethesda, Maryland. Like, in fact, there's a big video game company in Bethesda, Maryland. I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's a big one. Um, like those homes and shit are very expensive. Like they, they've always like, so like Chevy Chase and Bethesda, Howard County area, like that, those areas have always been, as long as I can remember, that was where like people had money lived there. But PG County, like back in the day when I was a kid, that was like not a safe place to live. Now that has changed. Now it's kind of bougie. And then you have like Potomac, like Potomac Mills. So like when you watch the the show, The Real Housewives of Potomac, which all of them don't live in Potomac, by the way. But when you watch that show, like Potomac Mills, like that's where people have money. You have like football players that live there. Like, you know, I mean, it's just, it, but that whole DC metro area, it's become very bougie. And that includes the Virginia side. That includes... Um, Arlington, Virginia, and that includes um, Alexandria, Virginia, like all that part over there, that's bougie. And then you go to Baltimore, and this was the interesting thing, because my family's from Baltimore. Then you go to Baltimore, and for whatever reason, the gentrification, although there's been some, it never spread across Baltimore like that. You go to Baltimore, and you can literally be in downtown Baltimore at a nice, on a nice block, and I say block, and you turn the corner and you back in the hood. I'm not kidding. No, you're not lying. I'm, I have relatives in Baltimore. When I was, I was staying in a hotel near John Hopkins. I think it was a hospital. I looked out the window. I said, oh, that's gentrification. Because the houses that were there were all tore down. You remember, of course, you remember the corner on HBO? Yep. I had cousins like that. So I remember. So when I saw that movie, I'm like, oh, that was my cousin Reese and my cousin Junebug. They were like they were strung out like that, and they lived in that type of neighborhood. So yeah, I I'm I'm familiar with some parts of Baltimore, and Baltimore is actually they're they're going to justification, but what they're doing is that their houses are being sold like empty vacant. Same thing in Philly, empty vacant lots, empty homes that people abandoned or they got or they just got or they were just deteriorating. People are buying those properties up left and right and selling them for over. A hundred, maybe about two hundred thousand dollars for neighborhoods that were not that appeasing at the time. For neighborhoods that you still will get shot in. Yep. We. I just, I just want to be real because when, like, I, I took my husband to Baltimore for the the first time. I took him there, and we went to visit like my aunt and all them, and like it was around Thanksgiving and like had big Thanksgiving dinner, and then we went to a, a bar across the street, and I, I told my husband I was like, "Don't go into that bar without me." <laughs> <laughs> so don't know what I mean. and, and he he was just like oh i think it'll be fine i'm like no 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 you i said you in baltimore at night we are we because we were staying at the inner harbor and i was like we are not at the inner harbor anymore we in southwest baltimore so you gonna go Sabby, to that pub? we go to that pub together you don't go without me oh my god savvy savvy i just i just remember oh my god i saw a video on youtube that freaked me out it is connecting what you talked about earlier about the mall the Inner Harbor is bare. There are no stores there anymore. Mm-hmm. I remember that place used to be bustling. And I was like, wait, where do the stores go? It's nothing at the harbor anymore. It's 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 really that's that's part of the pandemic. But you know, a lot of who we have to thank for this, because what you are are describing is the impact 
of the increase in the wealth gap. And a lot of that, we have the Obama administration to thank for that, because after the collapse of 2007 and 8, when they brought Wall Street back on the backs of Main Street, and all of that wealth that black people and other people had tied up in their homes was lost through the collapse. Instead of him, you know, undergirding Main Street, he used quantitative easing to undergird Wall Street. And so you created thousands of millionaires through that use of quantitative easing because it made money available to corporate America at like zero or near zero interest rates. And so behind that, you have the pandemic. And the first thing the um, Trump administration did was run to put all that money out there for the corporate community. And they gobbled that up. And that's why the wealth gap is so huge. And that's a part of what's feeding inflation as well, because you had all that cash infused into the upper end of the economy. And those people start buying up all the homes, which drove up all the prices. You know, the wealth that was in black America in terms of their homes, it was wiped away. And so you have a, a very, you know, elite class that has gotten even more money than it's ever had. And they're driving up prices, buying up everything. And as the, you know, global climate crisis gets worse, they're going to be coming into the mainland, into the safe areas. And, you know, the poor people are going to be pushed out to the perimeters and they're going to be in the path of all the bad weather. They're going to eventually come off these coastal places when they start. Look at what's happening in California. Eventually, those people who have resources are going to come out of California and come inland and drive up all the prices and push the poor people out to the perimeters. And and it's just a cycle that's, you know, gaining momentum. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure... Um... <clears throat> Gary, were you finished? So I can, um, if so, I'll bring in uh, Amanda. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm done. Thank you so much. God bless you. Awesome. Thanks so much. All right. Going to bring in Amanda. You are on the mic. You just have to unmute. What's up? Hey, Sabby. I know it's late and you've been going so long. I really appreciate these conversations. You've got such good folks up here. And I, I just really like all of the voices. And it's. I just want to circle back around to some really some things that really perked my ears up and make me um, glad that I was here tonight and am following your show. Public banking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The city of Oakland has also asked their city administrator to come back with a report for the city of Oakland to look at that, what Philadelphia, I guess, is looking at. So I'm really looking forward to that. I think you almost said something like, yeah, we really got to, yeah, maybe the first thing we focus on is get money out of politics. And I think you're totally right. I think there's a million ways that we, that we have to, there's a million different projects to do to get money out of politics. It's not just Citizens United. It's about lobbying the revolving door. There's so many places to get money out of politics that it could be a pretty broad coalition because you'd need to groups of different types of people who are into doing different types of things to actually get that done. And the last thing I just love that you advocate for doing local action. And I appreciate that the folks that are, that are your 
listeners and and the callers are, are the kind of people that that want to do that too and are trying to figure out how to do it so i just wanted to kind of point up those specific things among all of the great things that you always bring up i appreciate you thank you so much amanda i'm really interested to hear from him next week in reference to the philly public bank because we need public banks all across this country it shouldn't just be north dakota I had a friend that went to North Dakota a couple years ago because they were offered a job there. And I think they worked on one of the oil rigs or something like that. But they actually made a lot of money working in North Dakota. And they were from North Carolina. They lived there for a couple of years to make their money. And he was constantly like telling me about how like there's more jobs in North Dakota than there are people. He was like what he was getting paid there, he would never make in North Carolina. So he stayed there for a couple of years, lived there dirt cheap, made his money, then moved back to North Carolina and bought a freaking huge house. Right. So they, they're doing something right there. They are. But then also now that money has left the state. I'm not saying that he shouldn't have moved back. I'm just saying like that's there's that if it were more, if more states had a bank like that, it wouldn't have as much of an impact on the community that gets left because the community that it's going to could use an influx of, of money. Right. Cause the money circulates as many times as you can make it circulate within the community. As I, like I said, I'm excited about to hear more about this next week. I don't want to, I don't want to keep you on for, for a lot longer. I just wanted to appreciate you and kind of, and bring, bring us back to some of those points. Thanks. Thank you so much, Amanda. Very well said. All right, let's bring in Notori. You're on the mic. What is up? I want the um. I know you talk about this, but my eye is on Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid, and I be I don't well. I just start following him, but I hate him, Hakeem Jeffries, because he he don't scare me, but it's just he disgusts me because they're gonna use the black card with him. And I see him keep talking about Medicare and Social Security disability and stuff and talking about how he going to um, the Democrats going to protect it. But I said under his status, I'm like, yeah, like y'all protect the um, abortion rights. And what scares me is the American people. It seemed like they went quiet on the abortion right thing. So I'm wondering, is they going to be out on the street when a whole bunch of people because I have, I'm a little nervous because I have family members that's on like military um, and SSI and I'm nervous for them because I know every time the Republicans get in and now it seems like Democrats don't give two shits, they try to cut it. So that's what I'm a little nervous about. And I'm thinking that will Americans just go to sleep and just let that happen to with abort like they do? Well, Joe Biden said after um, after the midterms, Joe Biden made a public statement and said that we can't, they can't codify Roe v. Wade into law. That was right after they won the midterms, and I was like, "This is ridiculous." I I told people this would fucking happen. I was like, "Guys, we have to start looking at the rules, the process, and the procedures." That way we know when these politicians are like BSing us because the moment he said, like, if we get that Senate back and 
we can move forward and codify Roe v. Wade. But if you look at the actual procedures and the process, no, it don't work like that. Because even Ro Connor, when he came on my show, even he openly admitted that would never happen. What should be done is to get rid of the filibuster. Even Ro Connor said that, like on my show. So that's why I was like, when Joe Biden said, let the Democrats get this Senate back and then we'll call it a viral requate. I'm like, that is a fucking lie. And so many people fell for it. So every president that said that was basically lying this whole time. Yes, because even Rokana said, going even back to Obama, I can only talk about the ones that are the presidents that have been, uh, been president since I've been able to vote, basically. But like, even under Obama, Rokana said, even then, Rokana lied too, or excuse me, um, Obama lied too when he said that would be his top priority. And the reason why Obama lied, or the reason why we know he lied is because even at that point in time, they didn't have the votes. They didn't have the votes to codify Roe v. Wade. They did, however, have the votes to end the filibuster. And that's why Rokana said that what should have happened during that time was to end the filibuster. They didn't have the votes to codify Roe v. Wade because of Lieberman. Lieberman was not for it. Wow. Okay. I don't I see scared. too many people. I don't see too many people talking about abortion rights like in the street. And what is like scaring me really is I feel like in, after they took that away, I feel like anything can go away now and my like I really be watching what they saying about social security and disability because I wonder is people just gonna be sitting home distracted and just because it's a lot of people on it. I would say that. Well, the problem is with the. Um, oh, go ahead, Jonathan. I, I will sadly correct me wrong if I'm not mistaken. If and if you're really talking about people, in my head, I'm thinking you're talking about black people. Um, they're generally conservative, conservative anyway. So when it comes to abortions, to them, that's not a top priority. When um, from when I went to my when I looked on my Facebook page after abortion rights were taken, I didn't notice too much too much changes. Not be not too many people were talking about it. However, when marriage equality passed, it was like a shitstorm. I have people who are LGBTQ, I have people who are quote unquote Christians, and I have some intersectionality. I have people who are both. And it was like it was like this war that was going on between two people, two sides, and the people who were stuck in the middle. To, you know, they oh y'all can't. There's no such thing to be uh, gay and Christian. Da, 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 da. It's like it's black. Even though black people, we are affected by these things when it comes to social security, um, abortion rights, marriage equality. It's like if it's not a conservative ideology. They don't say too much about it. So that's why I was going. Yeah, I'll go ahead and add to that, uh, Jonathan. Um, This is going to come to, or or actually as a newsflash to some of you who may not be aware, but most African-Americans that I know do not agree with abortion. And a part of that has to go back to, it goes back to the black church. It goes back to Christianity where, and this is where, and I'll say this, having lived in the South, 
This is where in the South, Southern black Christians and Southern white Christians actually have something in common where they may not necessarily be at the same church. Although there are like non-denominational churches in the South. Like I went to a non-denominational church when I was growing up um, in North Carolina and we had everybody at that church. Like it was multicultural. But what I'm saying is the point is the most segregated day of the week in the United States is on Sunday for those who don't know because of religion. And that being said, where Southern whites and Southern blacks who are Christians, where they actually have commonalities is in reference to anti-abortion and also in reference, some in reference to LGBTQ, anti-LGBTQ. And this is a big thing in a Feeney. I think, I think on gun. Uh, oh yeah, that's that's a good one too on guns too. But they're not anti-gun, not in the right. south. They're not anti. Right. Yeah, but right. uh, Afini has been such a a prominent, you know, activist among multiple issues, but also uh, among LGBTQ. And I literally saw, and this is why I told you I don't like to respond to people on Twitter. I literally saw Afini getting attacked multiple times the past couple days on Twitter by other black people over LGBTQ rights over the statement that Gabrielle Union made at the Image Awards. I don't know if everyone saw that, but... Afini retweeted it and, you know, said something to, to support it. And it was like one after another, after another, all, all black people attacking Afini. Mm -hmm. And so this speaks to a larger issue, which is the fact that we still have the reason why it is hard to pull the African-American community out of the democratic party is because the Democratic Party still has a connection to the black church. That's how Clyburn has his connection. That's how he gets his votes for those who don't know. Even though he lives in one of the poorest, his district is one of the poorest districts, but he's not poor. But his voters will still vote for him because they are propagandized, not just by mainstream media, but by the black church. So you have the Democratic Party has a stronghold in the black church and because of that that is why even when it comes to the democratic party a lot of the african americans are still conservative democrats and that's why they'll still vote for someone like a joe biden instead of voting for someone like a bernie sanders but they'll still praise and you know commend someone like mlk even though mlk's views are the complete opposite of the views that they represent and hold to be true today. MLK was anti-capitalist. Majority of African-Americans today are not anti-capitalist. So you see how the church, the black church and neoliberalism changed the black community and pulled black people away from that radical and revolutionary energy and funneled them into the Democratic Party. And so, you know, it's a fact that uh, MLK was also pro-LGBTQ 
His wife even said this long time ago. Long time ago, um, Bishop Eddie Long had this march, and it was called Reclaim the Dream or Rename the Dream, something like that. This is when his daughter, um, this is when King's daughter Bernice was going to the church. And one of the things that they were marching for was, um, was for marriage between a man and a woman. And Curtis Scott King was alive at the time. She said, I will, and she said, I'm not going because my husband would have, would have marched with the people who were for um, marriage equality. She said, she, she said he was for LGBTQ rights. So people really, when people say Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King, they really don't know him like that. They don't, they don't understand his character. And also, one thing I wanted to add, um, somebody, oh, Pilgrim Ware put in the, the chat that um, they saw the Image Awards. In case you guys didn't notice, I didn't catch it, but I caught some clips. Um, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union got an award some type of humanitarian award and their award was really for them for fighting for trans rights. And the stuff that I see on Twitter where they have not only disrespected Dwayne and um, Gabby, but they have misgendered Zaya. They have did named her. They've been totally disrespectful to her, to a child and telling parents how to raise their child. And people are saying, um, his ex-wife and oh that's not really um his his and like I said they <clears throat> they misgendered her saying that's not really his son I'm like and they said oh the way Shabon feels about this and it's like we don't know what's going on in their personal family but as long as that if if being that Dwayne is the father of Zaya he has just as much right to Zaya as his ex-wife does but if if so, but they're saying like his ex wife is not for it. They don't know, they don't know what's going on. But even that, even watching the image awards and seeing how people are just posting clips, there's a there is a um there is a uh, a photo of um, Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan, just a, a, a simple hug. Oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my, and the whole oh oh. And last thing I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this for those who've been following Sabby Sabby for a while. And if you've not done it, go to her YouTube page. Go to her YouTube. Type in Sabby so Sabby and type in OPP, the original People's Party. Sabby did an interview with those people, and the pushback was a person. Oh, Sabby, I was so, ooh, girl, I was so proud of you. Ooh. Oh, man, that one was rough. That oh, one was rough. I don't, you did an awesome job. There was this, there was this um, black I activist party. about Naughty by Nature. No, boy, no, no. <laughs> Stop telling you he's like that. But no, they called the original People's Party. And one of their, and the interview was going great. It was going great. Savvy was interviewing them and they seemed very interesting. <laughs> and then they get to their bylaws. And one of the bylaws is that only, and they, and they literally said heterosexual people only, but you can be gay, something like that. And Savvy pushed back so much on it. It was, and people in the chat were like, oh, hell no, no thank you, because he had the wrong audience. And Savvy was like, you want to rethink that? And started explaining to him, like, a lot of people who are in the black movement identify as LGBTQ. I didn't, Savvy, I don't know if you caught this, but what they were basically saying, without saying is, it was saying, without saying it was like, don't bring this gay shit up in here. That's what they were saying. That's what that means. That's, that's how it was read, but they were very blatant about it, but that's another example of black conservatism within the democratic well in in the 
and the I just shared so, the link to the video in the chat. It, I, I put in the chat, it says the vid. I actually could have said something better. I'm sorry. It says the vid. And I, I shared the link. That was back when we were Fred Hampton leftists. And yeah, that guy, I was, I, it really like, it, it took everything I had in me not to just yell at him and say, you motherfucker. <laughs> And, you know, just as a point of clarity, the Black people and the Black community is socially conservative. Uh, uh -huh. yeah. I was just going to, okay, keep going. You I know, was say when, and that's Go because ahead. the Black church has done, has not done its job in terms of really interrogating the hypocrisy that runs rampant in the black church. There are very few black churches that don't have LGBT people all up in the music ministry. Have you I been know, to right? a cozy convention you know, before? <laughs> it's the just pastor, like, you know, those people in the choir, they be singing and, yeah, and singing up a blue breeze. But the reality is, you know, those um, subtextual things within the black community hurt the black community because some of your best organizers, some of your best, you know, artists and these things have been people who have been oriented differently. But, you know, if it is not the patriarchy and heteronormative things running through the black community that's causing a fragmentation then you have the broader white community that's exerting its pressure to alienate and marginalize black people all across the board. That's why as a black woman of trans experience, sometimes I feel so isolated, so disenfranchised. And you know, the, the reality is I love my people. Across the board, I have compassion for the spaces where they are confused and broken and perceive me as the enemy when I'm not. But when I look at all that we have had to come through in this country, trying to mimic white life, trying to adapt to the values that they brought to the table, you know, I just have ultimate compassion because I'm like, my people have been through so much and are so traumatized by so many different things till I just, but I wish we didn't have to be this way. And if the black church was really on its job, they would lead the way to help people see that as Maya Angelou puts in our quote oath often, we are more alike, my friend, than we are unalike. I am not the enemy in your life. And so I keep in my personal life, I keep trying to reach beyond the breaks, reach beyond what has happened to me so that I don't grow to the point where I hate my people. But then it's like, where do black LGBT people go? You know, it's just, oh my God, I could write a book. I so. want to say some real shit and I'm gone. 
this is where the DL men come in in these Christian um, churches and stuff. Let If they allow people to be who they are, because in black churches, it's the same. You can be gay, you can sing, but you better not show it. You better not say nothing. It's like they got to keep it under wraps. And I know it's a lot of a lot of these Christians preaching the Bible. A lot of them are the biggest freaks. Don't ask me how I know. But it's just this where the like DL man or woman or whatever. And to that sermon, yeah. I am going to say amen. Amen. And they and they both um, you even got pastors out here doing <laughs> sex tapes and admitting it to it. I'm like, and they oh no 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 no. It's worse. Not only are they out here doing getting caught on camera and then know they're on camera. They go right back in the pulpit, and people were like, okay, all forgive, or they act like it didn't happen. Like, oh, that's what we're doing now. Okay, cool, no problem. Oh, we can't talk about that. I just want to remind everybody, I just want to remind everybody about Kirk Franklin. Remember, he had his issues, and he was allowed to still go on and continue and make albums and telling people to stomp and shit. Like, I just, oh, I'm sorry. I, I said, I said a cuss word, like, and I was talking about uh, um, preacher, I'm sorry. Damn. But anyway, but y'all, you guys know what I'm talking about. I mean, the thing is, is this, is that, yeah, they're able to go on and do those things. It's like, so the people who tell you that such and such is sinful behavior, but meanwhile, they on the pulpit saying that, but meanwhile, they're out in the streets doing the same things they're telling you not to do. That's well, Kurt Franklin was different. Hold on, let's talk about these Republicans. They talking about how they love the Lord, but yet they going to these bath houses and paying the girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who was that guy caught in the bathroom? I can't and getting I- abortions, too. They're getting One abortions, of the- too. One of the saddest things that happens through matriculating through the black churches, some LGBT people are so full of self-hatred because they have been cast to the side and told you're going to burn in hell and this and that. And as I talk to people, I try and encourage people to understand that gender identity manifest very early in a child's life, way before sexuality. Sexuality begins to happen around puberty and this, that, and a third. But gender identity happens very early. And in my own life, I can go back to four, five, and six and not understanding why I couldn't get my hair pressed like my sisters did and why I had to always wear pants and you know, never get to wear dresses. That was gender identity manifesting. That was not sexuality. And then it gets all garbled up. And I'm saying, you know, when you understood Sabrina or Notori that you were girls, not boys, that is a very organic process. And for if you want to call it confusion or whatever, it happened just as organically for me. And what happened was I had to learn that something was not right. And I had to live as this boy and I had to do the boy things. And if my mother, bless God, had not had the foresight to protect me 
from some of the harshest forces that were in the community, I would have lost my mind because my constitution was just too frail to understand all the alienation and all the disenfranchisement. I was just a child. I was just a child. But now that I am grown and I have been able to make these decisions for myself, I look back and I'm grateful to God that I had people in my life who accepted me for being who I was and protected me, who shielded me. And so I'm like, leave these children alone. Let them be. They're trying to tell you who they are. And you just have no right to force them because what you do is force all types of psychosis. Because what they're experiencing is real. And it's just then it gets conflated with sexuality and people don't understand the difference between a trans woman and a drag queen and this and that. And people don't want to know. People just want to isolate you and feel that I am socially above you because I am heterosexual and I don't care how bright you are, how smart you are. I am going to be able to move further in this life because I am heterosexual and that's the same way white people use race. You can be a very smart black person, but baby, I'm going to get that door mm -hmm. open because I'm white. And those types of breakdowns happen all across our society. And I'm just like, can we come together? Can't come let us reason. Can we open the discourse and come to this table and discuss these things because people's lives are being destroy and when they can't know because that's what i feel like that's what the like i don't hate you can be christian satanist whatever long as you treat me with respect and that's what people don't get these days they got these bibles hitting it in your head i just don't understand how these christian people talking about they pro-life and all this and that but yet as soon as they find out that their children is under fall under the lgbtq plus community they throw their um children away like trash, but yet they so pro life. I that's just crazy. I'm just gonna say this is just that one of the things. Well, first of all, Noel, I, I will let you know that uh, be glad that you missed out on the hair pressing experience. <laughs> be glad that you missed out on the hot comb experience because that was not fun. I'm so glad they came up someone invented a flat iron because <laughs> my mom would not let me get a relaxer and I used to be mad at her when I was younger because of it but then later on as we as we've now seen that like these hair relaxing kits cause like cancer so I guess my mom was right but I used to get picked on all the time because I didn't have a relaxer but be glad that you missed out on the hot comb because that was not now baby experience. you know I pressed my hair on a slab when wasn't nobody looking <laughs> we but I but I but I'll tell you, I'll say this. One of the things I grew up in the church and one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way was that they would tell us, you know, Jesus said don't judge. And this is literally yeah, in the Bible, yeah. not not to judge. Mm -hmm. They would say that. But then they would be judging people. They the would place. say, These people are evil, these people are evil, this denomination is evil, da da da. da. And I'm like, But didn't you just tell me that the Bible said Jesus he said don't judge, but you get to judge? 
Well, I grew up in the church too. They, they keep jumping back and forth between Old Testament and New Testament. Yep. They use Old Testament for 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 uh, selfish means, so to speak, but then the, to to s- salvation themselves in their own uh, persona, they go back to New Testament. Okay, so. But also, there was something I wanted, I wanted to say that uh, a couple of uh, uh, words back when uh, Jonathan, you was talking about the um, black community being conservative, and Sabrina, when you was talking about the, uh, the n- well, not today, you said the last time that we're mostly a conservative country. I think we're mostly a conservative country and black people are mostly conservative when it comes to social issues. I think when it comes to economic issues, I think we're further left. Okay. And the reason why I say that is I see this all the time when like MSBSC talks about, Oh, well, you know, the voters of West Virginia like Joe Manchin. So they're conservative. So they don't want uh, these, these policies and I say to myself, nobody in West Virginia likes the Wall Street banks that that uh, destroyed their lives. Nobody in West Virginia says, hey, don't tax the rich. You know what I mean? Like, so I think when it comes to economic policy, it's a little bit more popular. It's just when it, whether we're talking about the black community or whether we're talking about the country as a whole. You know what I mean? I think uh, socially we're a conservative country, but economically, I think, I think we're more to, more to the left because nobody likes the banks. Everyone hates, uh, uh, these corporations. Uh, everyone, but the thing is when I listen to like not to throw shade, but when I listen to some of the people that are part of FBA, which is foundational black Americans, I hear uh some things they say, we talked about this recently on Marcus's show, Marcus did a Black History panel, and me and JB were on that panel with him and his co-host Chris, and that subject came up, and we talked about how you do have some of these organizations, like the one Jonathan mentioned, the Originals People's Party, that they're pro-Black, but they're against everything else. They're against immigrants, they're against LGBTQ, they're against, like, um... But that's, uh, that's socialism, socialism like anything like that. And I'm like, so you want to have a, org- a movement of black people that doesn't include gay black people, that doesn't include trans black people, that doesn't include black people who are socialists, that doesn't include black people who are married to people of a but, different race, that doesn't include black people that are like half black. Like, what fucking but, movement is this? We're only 13% of the population and you just excluded like half of that 13%. Right, but that's that's kind of like you're saying the same thing, and I I just said just a different way. Those are social issues that they're conservative on. I was saying that when it comes to economic policies, people are more left. But they're against they're against what? socialism too. They're against all the okay, universal. Well, they're I'm serious. If you listen to them, okay. they're against the universal policies. They're against socialism. They're against all that stuff too. They want black capitalism. They're for that. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is that, yes, I 100% agree with reparations. That being said, 
just giving someone they're like give give us the check it has to be more than a check you can't just give black people a check and say here's your reparations you have to change the institutional issues and the systemic issues that we have otherwise black people after that money is gone right back where we started so if you don't improve the schools if you don't change the healthcare system we're going to be right back where we started that money is eventually going to run out yeah, yeah, but it's not just about, well, reparations isn't just about cash payment. They're talking about bringing back the, uh, in case anybody don't know what the Freedmen Bureau Bank is, uh, check it out. They're, they're talking about bringing back the uh, Freedmen Bureau uh, Bureau Bank, but it was a bank that was for uh, Union soldiers, uh, that uh, Black Union soldiers that fought in the Civil War, for them, a place for them to um, place their their military i forgot what they call that special word like the money that you get for fighting in the military or whatever the case is and the only reason why that it it went under was because it wasn't ran by you know like the whole thing fubu for us bias it wasn't ran by freedmen it was ran by pretty much you know white folks pretty much and they had no interest in after reconstruction they pretty much just ran it into the ground and there was no um what's that word no uh energy or whatever it is to bring it back but yeah it's, it's not just about uh, um, just cash payments but um no i understand what you're saying oh am i still here my phone went uh, but see here's what i don't understand um you know i can understand you being you know um the descendants of slaves or what have you having issues with immigrants because the immigrant blacks who come to this country do not have the lineage factor that we have and a debt that's owed to us is not owed to them. That's like, you know, I am owed something, you know, my father left me a million dollars and my cousin comes from, you know, Africa and says, well, I get a part of that. That I understand that argument and I understand the um, issue with respect to that. But when it comes to the LGBTQ community, a lot of times what I hear is that these movements are concerned that people, that black people of an LGBTQ experience are representing the LGBTQ community proper. And that's not the case because the LGBT community as a political force is really run by white people. And black people of LGBTQ experience get just as marginalized along the lines of race within that community as black people do in the broader community. But Noah, and, Noah I can tell you that they like, don't look, see that. They don't see that. Yeah. What you're saying, they don't see that. They see the total opposite. They see us as an ally for white supremacy. I don't know why, but that's what they see. So, And that I, just makes no exactly. sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. And, and, and not only do they, own, not only, uh, to add on what to what Jonathan said, not only do they not see that, but they don't even want to hear about LGBTQ issues at all. If you, if you guys, those of you who are on Twitter, go look at Go look at Afini's Twitter page and look at the back and forth that she's had over the past 48 hours. 
with people over this issue and it's mainly black people attacking her and Afini obviously is LGBTQ and they're just talking talking to her as if she doesn't fucking matter. And, and see, that's all that self-hatred that's been programmed in. Because like when we look at what has happened to George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, it's easy for people to see the wrongness of the, you know, police and how white supremacy has been institutionalized. But when you look at black women of trans experience who have been killed, murdered, this and that. It is at the hands most times of heterosexual people in the black community. And we just refuse to look at that. But here's the thing. If I am killed by some transphobic black man, does my life not matter any more than Breonna Taylor because I was of trans experience? We have to be able to open this discourse and we have to be able to take away some of the taboo because people, there are black men who I know have an affinity and an affection for me, but they're so afraid of what it would mean to date me and this and that. And that becomes the elephant in the room. And I'm like, boo, we can't even talk because you are concerned with some issues that I cannot help you with. If you're concerned about what people are going to think about you because you date me, then what can I do? I am who I am. And you like me for the reasons that you're attracted to me. And I keep telling people, if, if a man is attracted to me, it is because of my feminine quotient, which means it is a heterosexual attraction. But we have people so caught up about, ooh, if I like you, I'm going to be gay. Does that make me gay? And I'm like, boy, I ain't got time. You know, I'm almost 60 years old. Child, go somewhere and sit down and I'll do the same. <laughs> oh, if I can add on that, not only, let me ask that question for oh, you. Not only does, you said, does your, not, if, if what happened to um, Brown Taylor happened to you, would your life matter? Not only would you not, and according, and this is in the eyes of, I call them the hoteps. In the eyes of the hoteps, not only does your life not matter, you did something to get to be to be murdered. Right. I don't just like what white people do every time a black person gets murdered. Oh, he must have did something. I still, when I think about Bosom John and the fact that they tried to, they went in his house and tried to find something, even though he didn't do anything. It. I remember. Ben Dixon says something very perfectly. It had to take somebody as clean as Botham John to say that it doesn't matter what you do. They'll always try to find something, if that makes sense. Which blew my mind that his brother going in there hugging whatever her name was. I'm like, child, have you internalized all the oppression? But here's my thing. But here's the thing. If if a if a heterosexual black man kills me, it's because who she tricked him. Exactly. You know, she was so lovely and gorgeous. I have a girlfriend that say, um, um, 
a man can, I mean, his um, wife or his girlfriend can walk into the room and see the dick in his mouth and he still, she still will believe him because he would say he didn't know it was a um, trans woman. The dick People can be do. in the mouth or even if, mm-hmm, and they will sit there in the, they will sit there That's and um, believe him, believe him, and she can see it too. My thing, even if <laughs> he just... didn't know, if you married, your penis should not be in anybody else's mouth. Right. <laughs> Whether you knew or not. Infidelity is infidelity. Um, what, what was I going to say? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So take what you just said, right, about, um, about uh, uh, the, the the white tra- LBG uh, trans community, right? And just wanted to use you. And now I want you to take that and transpose it. And the same thing applies to feminism. You see what I'm saying? Like, we've seen how, you know, like, Absolutely. seen it in the 70s. And then you've seen it with the Women's March. How, you know, white feminists will use, oh, yeah, you could be down, but you can't run shit. You know, um, when Tamika Mowry, uh, oh, I forgot, Carlina Cruz, something like that. And, and uh, Linda Sansur, when it was their turn to lead the Women's March, they came up with, oh, well, Tamika Mallory agrees with Louis Barrican. And Louis Barrican said... Uh, uh, Jewish Judaism is a gutter religion and blah 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 and then you know she was just like yo look I know what you're trying to do you're trying to get me to denounce especially freaking Megan I was going to say Megan Kelly the other Megan John McCain's daughter um, she's like she was trying to get Tamika Mallory to denounce um, Farrakhan and she kept saying look I don't agree with everything Farrakhan says, okay? <laughs> All right? But you're not going to sit up here and try to, you know, like, uh, 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 make me denounce him. You know what I mean? So it's like you're, you're fighting a war on two fronts because on one end, you're like, I don't agree with everything this person in my community says. But on the other end, you got outsiders from the community that are trying to break you, like, away from that. You're away from, you know, your own community, even though you got issues with your own community, right? So I've seen um, there's been, oh, oh yeah. So Sabrina, yes, you were talking about today, I think it was today, about on your show about um, the, the, the feminism thing and something about being the strong black woman. That was Terry McMillan. Yes, 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 right, 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 right. And I remember that time also that, you know, the whole I don't need a man uh, phase for for black women, so on and so forth. Right. I I remember I remember all of that. And I remember guys used to say, you don't never hear no man going around saying I don't need a woman. No, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need a woman. Like, if you just like, but. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was. following that whole uh, uh, feminism thing of you had whites outside of the community, you know, mostly white feminists that were telling them this or whatever the case is, they don't understand our culture. 
that trying to do this and do that. And what ended up happening was just like you said on the show, it ended up breaking up the family. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you take a look at our history, since we've been in this country, there has always been a, a what's that word? A technique, a, a thing to break up the black family. Concerted so, effort. Yes. Concerted effort. So first you had slavery. So they would force you to have these babies. Right. Um, so because they stopped, you know, the, the federal government passed a law that said you can no longer bring in Africans to, for your slave labor. So it's all right. So women got to start, slaves got to start producing babies or whatever. Right. And then they would sell the babies off. Okay. So that was, that was the first thing of breaking up the black family. Right. Then you had the whole, um, the whole thing with the, with, um, you know, like some of the LBJ policies where, okay, you'll have, we'll give you a check as long as the man is not in the home. But in rural America, they would get the check whether the man was in, whether the father, the husband was in the home or not. So their families were encouraged to stay together. Our families were encouraged, was discouraged from being together so you know like if they if the if the social worker whoever came by and they saw that a guy was living there one would be cut off from from the check or whatever the case was so that was an, another form of of that another form was, was feminism saying oh you don't need a man you, you can do it all by yourself you're mm -hmm. strong yeah and so on and so forth right another way of breaking up the black family is with these drug laws you know like like okay so Federally, yeah, Nixon. Nixon said that he wants to get, he wants to exact revenge. This is what John Ehrlich admitted to right before he died. John Ehrlich was his like right hand man, so he died in the late nineties, and he admitted, so yeah, you know, Nixon did those drug laws because he wanted to exact revenge on his political enemies, which were black people and and, and white liberal hippies, right? Yep. But we also had in New York State. Uh, the Nelson Nelson Rockefeller Governor Nelson Rockefeller drug laws, okay, which I remember like I think it was late nineties or early two thousands. I remember like Russell Simmons was like protesting to try to get rid of the Rockefeller drug laws. So yeah, so that was another thing that 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 was another way of breaking up the black family. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you would so you'd have these things, but they're sending us to prison, and then you had freaking dope heads like freaking Sean Hannity. Where are the fathers? I don't understand. Where are the fathers? You put them in jail, you racist mother. So, but he knew that. And yeah, he's Roger, a master of propaganda. Roger, I can add on to that too. And another way that you break up the black family is by the quote-unquote gay agenda and also the trans agenda that's turning boys into girls and to girls into boys. That's how they make that connection between white supremacy and, and the LGBTQ people. And that's why they don't see LGBTQ people, black people, as a part of the black community. Absolutely. Because they're breaking up the black family. And also, they, um, also, lost my thought. And also, you have people who, um, don't feel like that LGBTQ people are even, oh, no, no, no. I, I lied I lied to you not savvy as a teacher I lied to you not that I heard this the discussion came up about the um the AP African American studies 
And one of the, so, one of the history teachers brought up um, the reason why he's not for it is because in the beginning they talk about queer studies. I'm like, okay. And then he starts saying, well, I don't know why they would put queer studies in the in the text and sorry in the studies because that was actually used to to suppress us as black people. Uh, it was used against us to suppress us to make us feel less than humans. And I was like, what is he talking about? This fool was talking about buck breaking, which is talk, mm. which is actually proven to be false. So even you got even quote unquote people who are who are supposed to be ac- smart academically are even saying that, oh, queer study, when they think queer, they're actually thinking about gay sex. To be honest, they just don't want to say it, but I'll say it for them, that, that, that gay sex was used to, uh, to break up not only the black family, but also break black manhood, black masculinity. Um, I remember even Farrakhan was, even not Farrakhan, Dick Gregory used to talk about how the reason why people are we reason why we got more e, quote unquote effeminate men is because of the soy. Like they they say stuff like this within their circles. So I just want to add on to that, Roger, what you just said. Not saying what you said wasn't right before, but that's how they connect this all together, and that's how they make LGBTQ people as not a black LGBTQ people as an ally for white. And here's the thing: whether the white supremacist system used buck breaking to break heterosexual black men as a strategy, that does not mean that homosexuality does not exist naturally in nature. You have species all across the board that are homosexual. It occurs through nature at a rate of about 1% you know, including penguins and all kind of creatures, it occurs. So now let me be clear, to force a heterosexual man into any type of sexual activity against his will is a form of breaking that person's spirit. And if you do that in a public forum, yes, it is a demoralizing thing. And yes, it breaks that man's psyche in terms of his understanding of his sexuality in his community. But let's be clear, the demonstration of that is an exertion of power. That is the same as rape. But you cannot use those things that have been used to enforce power upon a people to then turn around and re-victimize people. That just makes no sense. And so if you were to force me into a relationship with a woman, that would be breaking me because I am not a lesbian. But people just do not take the time. Like I say, we need to have this discourse. We need to discuss these things within community so that we better understand. I am not the enemy in any black person's life or white person. I want to survive and thrive just like everyone else does. And I just don't feel like we have to be pitted against each other for survival. This whole capitalist thing that feeds this organization of the society around who's on the top and who's on the bottom, that is not productive in any form or fashion. And it just puts everybody below the economic 
a leak at each other's throats. You know, if you notice, you have all these culture wars basically on the low end of the economic spectrum. The people at the top don't give a damn. Trump will sit down and eat dinner with Caitlyn um, Jenner and this and that and go on about his business. But it's at the bottom where we have to fight because we are fighting for our lives. Sometimes when we are at the poorest of the poor, all we have is our good name. And so we're fighting for the basics. It's just crazy to me. But like I say, I love my people and I am willing to help them understand who I am to the degree that they're willing to come to the table and have the discourse. I don't want every man that looks cross-eyed at me. I'm not, that's not about my identity as a woman. That is sexuality. And for the record, my sexuality is heterosexual. I do not like women in a sexual sense. But you have to be able to, you know, put down all of your preconceived notions and have these discussions. And, you know, and to make it so bad, I grew up as a Christian. I went to Baptist church all my life, this and that and blah, blah, blah. And there are people within both of those circumstances who understand. But where is the courage to lead? Where's the courage to lead the discourse and have people disavow of some of this ignorance? Because again, like I say, you are diminishing people's lives. You're hurting the community because some of your most talented people may be of an LGBTQ persuasion. And we need everybody's hand at the helm. We don't have anybody to spare in this fight as people of color and as a class. We have to have everybody at the table. Yeah, That's right. It, I want to make um, sure I bring in Karthik okay. because Karthik and then Ashura, and then I'm going to head out. So go ahead. Uh, hey, Savvy, what's up? Uh, good evening. Uh, so yeah, if I, I, I sorry, but I wanted to distract a little from something you were talking about earlier about you know Marion Williamson and the election. And um, so I actually just wanted to correct you and Nick, unfortunately. Because I know uh, you guys have been saying that Bernie Sanders spent $100 million from, you know, us, the small dollar donors. And I actually tried to verify that today. And it's actually wrong. Like, I, I calculated both of the elections, 16 and 20. And he actually got $450 million, almost $450 million. So these uh, fucks, these uh, uh, so, so Social Democrat uh, Bernie Sanders uh, industrial complex people, you know, we, we we all know the usual suspects. They so it want was us... even wait a minute, Carthage. So it was way more than what we what we thought. Yeah, you know, because, it wasn't um, even close to hundred million. Well, you, yeah, you, I want you, people you, to understand. Like... It, it was much more. It was like around two hundred and twenty million for both. Like it was it was like, like I think yeah. the exact number was like four hundred and forty two million or something for both of the yeah, elections. So... So that's about two twenty each. Yeah, for people listening, I want people to understand. Like Unapologetic wrote an article um, last year saying that Bernie Sanders got like a hundred million dollars from people, but that's even worse, Karthik. Oh dear. Go ahead. Yeah. I don't know where he got his numbers because every source, it was around 220 each. And, um, uh, and, uh, also, okay. So like, I get why, you know, obviously we're not excited about Marion Williamson at all because like, I actually have very religious and spiritual background. And she reminds me of all the phony people I met when I was a kid in, in, um, you know, various religious places. 
but I don't know why, like, because, like, okay, I kind of do know, I guess, but none, not, not, none of the people pushing her, like, on the Bernie Sanders Industrial Complex people, they're not talking about how in the DNC lawsuit, the DNC admitted if they wanted to, they can just pick the candidate in a smoke-filled room. And it seems ridiculous that they're all pushing her, but nobody's bringing that fact up. Because, that, because that hurts their brand, Karthik. And honestly, like, there were two other questions, like, I would have asked her if I had the opportunity, but we, we have very short time. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want me to interview Marianne on, on like, solo? Do you still want me to do that? Because I don't want to do it if you guys don't even want to, like, like, honestly, if you guys don't want to see it, I don't want to do it. Like, I'm, I don't want to do it just because I'm not one of those people. I, I definitely see it just because it's funny to see her squirm. Like when she avoided the uh, uh, Ukraine question and acted well, all like uh, outraged as a white lady because because well, a black no, guy it, was asking not, her tough questions. But, but the thing is, she didn't avoid it because other people in other interviews before us did ask her about Ukraine and she didn't answer it. She did answer it. So I wanted to point that out. I loved it. So I know what her position is on Ukraine. That's what I'm trying to tell you guys. Like she had already answered that question with previous interviews. So the thing that me and Nick were hit up against was the time crunch because we only had 20 minutes and we didn't know that until right before the interview. So just keep that in mind. So yeah, I get it. Like I think yeah. like I I hope somebody gets to ask her about the DNC lawsuit thing about how they can like they openly admitted that they can pick the candidate because I I don't think uh, anybody's asked her about that. Again, like why are you a, running? Yeah. But see again, if I had more time, that is another thing I would have asked her. I would yeah have yeah I know that question because I would ask like what's the point? That's what we're talking about tonight. Like what's the point? If we know it's all rigged. She yeah, no, I'm saying that like it would be worth it to interview her again because then you could ask her about like why are you running if the DNC's openly admitted that they can rig the election because they're a corporation, not um, some, you know, like governmental organization. And I looked over that lawsuit recently and the judge did rule that uh, we were treated unfairly, but our only grievance would be at the ballot box, which makes I'm, no I'm, sense. I'm, I'm checking the chat to see if people want me to do it. Um, I'll do a poll. I'll do a poll Thursday night and ask people, like, do you guys want me to do it? Because, like, honestly, like, I don't want to do it just to do it. Like, I've interviewed Marianne multiple times before, but that was before she was running as for for 2024. And I think the thing is, is, like, I don't want to do it just to do it. Like, I just think because, like, if you guys don't want it, if you guys don't want to see it, then... Honestly, there's no reason for me to Sabrina, do it. I'm sorry, but I thought, I, I, there's no way pers- I thought you did ask her that question because I remember her saying like, oh, people know that they're going to be voting for me. And if you're you're not voting for the policy, you're voting for the person. I thought when she answered that part, she was answering your question. And I- no, that was that was the response to Nick asked her, why should we support? Why should people support her? Oh, OK. And I think that was her response. Yeah. And there's but no I way think she's she, getting 220 She calls million, herself like, opening and moving President Biden to the left by, you know, framing these issues. But we've already seen through the Bernie Sanders, he is not going to move left. So 
given the fact that we know the system as it is, is not going to let her get through. The only purpose that she could be running is to try and move him left. But we already know he's not going to do that either. So I'm like, girl, what are you doing? You need to be out there trying to help build a third party movement because that is the thing that's going to open the door. And if it takes us two decades, we need to start yesterday. We don't need you up there. What good does it do to debate Joe Biden when you know it's going to be Joe Biden in the end anyway? That's just going to mislead folks just like Bernie Sanders did and have people listen to you and say, oh, she's for reparation. She's for this. I'm going to support her. And then when her candidacy fails, oh, well, I guess I better vote for Joe Biden. That is the problem, the systemic problem with running in these parties. And she knows that. We should be all with Jill Stein and everybody who can listen, saying, listen, our task is to build out that third party and create a home for the majority of Americans who see themselves as independent. That's what that's what's going to be the thing in the end. We have no voice in those two parties. And she knows it. Or just run independent candidates. Look, I'm just going to tell you guys, like, for reals. Let me look at the chat. And Marion probably won't even get I'm 50 million. I'd be shocked if she got 50. Like, honestly, like, I don't want to do it because I don't want it. I don't want. Assuming what's happened before, because like I said, I've interviewed her before, like a year ago, twice, actually. And it it was in good faith. And like. I don't want her to feel like, oh, Sabby's just going to try to, this is just bad faith. He's not going to, so, he's not, oh, sorry, she's not going to do that. Remember at the end of the interview, she's like, Sabby, call me. Sabby, she was like, you, Sabby, you can call, you can get with me anytime. She's cool with you. She ain't cool with everyone else. She put that out there. She is cool with Come on. She should want to come on because if she can't handle you and she gave you, Grace and Kel, like he was saying, Jonathan was saying that she was gonna come back on with you. But I want you to um interview her again just to see what questions you had and how she gonna answer them. Cause to me, it's just gonna let people know what she all about, and that's what people want to see what you all about. And if you if she feel like she made herself look a fool, that means you doing your job and asking her the hard questions. Cause if she can't handle you, she ain't gonna be able to handle Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, and. Yeah, I think for the most part, I'm pretty tame. I I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not too bad. But you real good with your questions. I'm, I'm not too bad unless you piss me the fuck off. So like the guy from World Socialist website pissed me the fuck off. So I had to let him know. (laughs) But that was different. He was an asshole. I actually watched the interview. I'm like, oh, he you he got what he deserved. I'm sorry. You did the best you could do, maintain composure, but he wasn't getting it. So you no, Sabby, you still did a great job. Talking over you on your own show. You know what? He was like, I would like to see Marianne and Shama say one. On the same t- discourse, talking. Uh, that would be oh, hilarious. No. What you doing, Noel? What you trying to start up in here? Because baby Shama could frame the questions, and you know Marianne would get a chance to respond. And because those are really 
the 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 way you you help people see what's really going on right and if you know it's really who she says she is she will have no problem exactly i'm still waiting for uh marion williamson's department of peace when she ran last time she's all about peace but now uh that there's the war in Ukraine's on and there's more pressure. She's like, peace? What peace? We, we need what? war. And a blank what? check. What's peace? Thank I've never you. heard about peace before. Thank you for the reminder, Karthik. Um, when did she say think? that? Oh, she said it last time when she was running in, in 2020. Yeah. Or 2016. I forgot which when she, one. No, it was no, 2020. No. When she ran for president 2020. in 2020, she had a Department of Peace. That's what she would do. No, yeah. not that Department of Peace. The one about what about peace? I don't care about peace. Like what Karthik just said right there. Hmm? Well, he was just making. If Marianne ever said anything about the the uh, rage against the war machine rally, like I'd be curious how she would respond. You're like asked about that set of demands. All right. See, I might need to do this interview now. <laughs> also, well, I know um, she's. I know like, she's. For... Like, what are we asking? I know she's I know one of them that she's automatically for, which is um free and Julian Assange. I do know that one. Was, was she, she gets was points for that, that one. one? What was that, Roger? Was that a sheriff? Or sheriff? Was was she for that before? Yeah, she was. She did a whole like um she did a whole like stream about that before she came to the pro well, she came to the protests off and on, but she also did stream about that. Yeah. About which one? Wait, I hope she... Marie and Julian Assange. Right. I hope Marianna Anna come through because <laughs> if she who she says she is, she should have no problem. I can't wait. Okay, so I'm about to head mm-hmm. out, but Natori, before I go, can you please explain to us where did you get that name from? Anna Anna? What's that? What is that from? Someone asked me earlier. I'm like, I don't know. I just came up with it just to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was that was me. I was like, I thought it was some Cabbage Patch Kids shit. Dang. Yeah, about the question you were talking about the church and the homosexuality thing. It's like I watched a video one time on YouTube, and this black guy was complaining because he saw two lions were mounting each other. And I'm like, oh well, that's. That's not like something weird, cause I mean, you got fucking snails; they fuck each other. I mean, it's not like like gay being gay is not something that's not new. I mean, plants do it; they exchange fucking shit. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, yeah. I just want to say, going back to the question of the day regarding um uh, Nina Turner. Um, I keep hitting her up every time she says something. Um. You know that makes sense and it's true. Uh, she's talking about East Palestine when she's talking about Medicare for all, and she makes all these good points. Every time she says that, I read to her. I I screenshot the picture of uh, of the um, of the laws governing citizen ballot initiatives in Ohio, and I send it to her. I said, well, you could do something about it. <laughs> and she never responds. And I'm She's too busy praising uh, Joe Biden for defending freedom in Ukraine, Roger. Did you forget? And wishing Obama happy birthday. She's too busy with that stuff. Now, is that bowl of shit? So, 
I think you come on. I think I saw you tweeted at her like maybe a couple of six times like that. <laughs> she never answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw that, right? You saw yeah. when I sent you the thing. Yeah. And she- Damn. Yeah. This is a surprise. I want to Kirk Roger on John- right quick. Go ahead, Jonathan, and then I gotta head out. Okay. Um, Roger said that. You don't hear about a man talking about I don't need no woman. Roger, I say that all <laughs> I know that's right. Thank you. I just want to say I love y'all and I'm glad you created this space, Sabby, for all of And I love you too, Notori, and everybody else. I lost my peoples. You guys are awesome. Awesome sauce. I am going to head out. I'm getting very (laughs) getting very better about my closing out times because um I have my workout regimen in the morning, so I gotta do my thing. I gotta Yeah, I did three miles today. I gotta do weights tomorrow and uh, and abs, so (sighs) you guys have a good night, but I'll I'll be on Kim Iverson's so um Kim Iverson's show actually today not tomorrow but today at 6 30 p.m eastern time so um check that out we're going to be talking about um the student loan